What's going on, everybody? Welcome back again to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. Today we had episode 150. It was a long one, about three hours long. So if you want to split this up, hit the pause button every once in a while and go do something else, I get it. But you should definitely listen to every second of this if you're an NFL fan. We had Mike French on to do an NFL draft preview like no other. He broke down the Jets and Giants every single pick. He went through every single position and gave his top five, did some sleepers, did some super-duper sleepers, did some almost dead sleepers, and then he did a full first-round mock and put in some consolation picks for guys that don't have a first-round pick. Sean and I will be back tomorrow night talking about the MJ doc, and then we'll be back later in the week with some more content for you guys. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore sports. Check out the website. We're going to be running everything that Mike had to talk about today on the website, SorrySports.com. Uh, shoot us an email if you have anything to say or any questions, sorry, sports at yahoo.com. No music today because I really wanted you guys to focus on the content just because it is very important if you're an NFL pa- fan. So enjoy the pod, guys. We'll be back tomorrow. Oh, living the dream right now. It's draft week. Times don't get better than this. This is all good. Tom, you hanging in there? You ready for this? Yeah, um, I'm. I'm barely. I'm hanging on by a thread. But I mean, to this is probably the best sports week we've had in a really long time between the MJ documentary tonight and then draft. No doubt. No doubt. I'm really looking forward to that documentary. It's going to be really good, man. It's going to be really good. Episodes one and two tonight. So, all right, we're four days away from the draft, guys, which is obviously every team is looking for new beginnings and all that bullshit. So we're going to start with the most popular position in the French Five. There's been a lot of talk about what direction the Cincinnati Bengals are going to go with quarterback. I think we know the answer, but... Frenchie, your number one quarterback to be drafted on Thursday's draft. Yeah, let's save what the Bengals are doing until we hit the mock, although that might be the easiest position to get to. Uh, The top quarterback I'm looking at right now is Joe Burrow. I think this one's pretty clear. If uh, Tua's medicals were a little bit more certain, and it's not just the hip, it's two ankles. It's the fact that he broke his wrist a week after repairing that same broken wrist Um, We've got three teams that have taken him off the board, and we know there's one failed medical. Um, If, you know, if all things were equal, I wrote if this was bad and we could turn injuries off, this might be a different story. But Burrow just had arguably the greatest season any quarterback's ever had. He's got great mobility in a pocket. His elite trait, if he has one, is his pocket presence. Now, some of this comes just by experience. Burrow is three or four weeks older than Lamar Jackson, who just won NFL MVP. He's been in college football for years. He's two or three years older than a lot of the other quarterbacks who are in this draft. And I think that does carry some weight as to why he has better awareness and things like that. But the man had a great season. 
Um, he's got all the arm strength you could want. He can work on a script. He can go outside the pocket and make things happen. Um, clearly, he's got that swagger that teams are looking for. I think he has a great attitude. Team that gets him has a leader walking in the door and a damn good franchise quarterback. All right. So there you have it. He seems like the safest guy here, but maybe not the most talented. That's where Tua would fall to number two for you. Yeah, so um, Tua's twitch, his feel for the game, all of those things, I think, are just elite. Now, Burrow, I think, doesn't have as many elite traits, but he is just damn good and solid at everything. You I know? think Burrow's that, elite trait is being able to stay healthy. Yeah, and that's something. Tua's worst ability is the most important one, availability. Now, Joe Burrow also was not available for a few years because he wasn't good enough to be. You know, it wasn't until Joe Burrow was 22 and older than Tua currently is that he got a starting job. Um, So those things are worth figuring out. But Joe Burrow has been healthy from day one. He transferred to Louisiana State, you know, walked in, had to sit a year and then got the job. Um, A year later, Joe Brady comes in after Burrow has a pedestrian year and is rated as maybe a fifth rounder to a priority free agent, you know, if he were to come out. Um, in last year's draft, this year, Joe Brady walks in with an offensive system from, you know, this century. Uh, first time LSU's run one of those and look what happens. And Joe Burrow executes it flawlessly. He goes out there. He does everything that a quarterback could want. I don't know what more he could have done in a single year. I think he outplayed Mayfield. I think he outplayed Kyler, who were our last number ones off of one phenomenal year. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. I mean, the guy could do no wrong this past season, and he had an electric mm-hmm. season. Um, and I think by default, I mean, you know, said not to mention your number one overall pick. I don't mean to jump the gun here, but I think by default to his injuries, he's obviously the number one pick. Yeah, and I think anyone who puts someone aside from Burrow to number one is just trying to do it to get extra clicks. That's not what we're about here. Oh, I love that. Yeah, uh, but Tua, I think he, he's he got a ton of upside. I think a, the perfect situation is sit him a year and let his body get right. You know, one of the teams that people keep going back to, you know, the Dolphins. Last time the Dolphins said no to a quarterback because of medicals, Drew Brees. Yep. Because they said no, Nick Saban quit and went somewhere where he could have full control. Um there are going to be a lot of teams faced with this question. Do we take someone who has the possibility to be elite, but also has the possibility to be nothing? You know, if you can't get on the field, your draft value is, you know, moot. Um, but when he's on the field, Tua is just as accurate as any college quarterback we've seen. He's got a great feel. He reads through progressions. Um, you know, he's not robotic, but he computes. Everything he's going through is just automatic. It's kind of it's this great mix of kind of this mechanical mind, but also playing off of pure instinct. Um, it, it's being fragile. That's the one thing that holds him back. And the reason he's so fragile is because he thinks he's more athletic than he is. He's not Russell Wilson. He's Drew Brees. He needs a pocket to sit in, a little bit of mobility, a little bit of movement to the outsides. He can roll out. He can do those things. But he's not a scrambler, and he can't keep playing like he is. Yeah, and, and Nick Saban you know, spoke to that when he was breaking him down a little bit ago and says he tries to extend plays too much. And he's, he's, I think that's something that, especially after that hip injury, has to be ingrained in his brain now. Just throw the ball away. Because if you're getting if you're getting those kind of injuries, being hit by 
top tier college players. I can't imagine what his body's going to suffer through being hit by all NFL talent linebackers right. and defensive ends. It's going to be and a real nice up. three year career if uh, he keeps that shit up. Exactly. Um, at number three, I've got Justin Herbert from Oregon. There's a bit back and forth here. I really think Tua and Burrow have the guy are the two guys with elite elite potential. Um, Herbert and Love are my next two. And how much they're... do you how much do you care about the intangible stuff? Because apparently Herbert isn't that great of a leader. So that's been a lot of the talk. Is not just that he's not a great leader, but he's a quiet one. Uh, at the Senior Bowl. All the players seem to gravitate to him, and a lot of the GMs put weight in those sorts of things. This is one of the parts where this offseason affects a lot of players. If you have a pro day, it's not just showing off Justin Herbert's arm when he gets to script whatever he wants to do, but it's seeing how he interacts, if the players flock to him, if he kind of leads, if he's following, and all of those other pieces that play into the missing pro days this year. I don't have a ton of questions with it, but it is the same kind of doubts that people had with Mariota, and those did carry over. Um, another concern with Herbert is he's a bit more mechanical. He's robotic, and I don't mean that in the same way, whereas two is a processor. Herbert's kind of trying to force himself through the motions. But what he does have is a lot of athleticism, more than he gets credit for, because Oregon didn't have a backup quarterback this year. So until he went to the Rose Bowl, where he carried Oregon to a win over Wisconsin, and a lot of it done with his legs, he didn't really get to show it off. He's got a lot of tools. He's got a phenomenal arm. He's got great size. He's got ability. Um, and if you can get him to be a little bit more natural – in how he plays instead of being so mechanical and trying to, you know, think while he's doing it. You want to just have that feel. You can almost watch him turn to see every read and kind of go bit by bit instead of just having a single play. If you can get that feel a bit more natural, you know, you're going to unlock a lot of that talent. Frenchie, a lot of momentum being brought up Herbert's way and showing that, you know, he might be the second quarterback taken. Is that more for what he's done, or does that have more to do with the questions about Tua? I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, if there weren't medical issues, I know three teams have already said they've taken him off the board. So there's no way, you know, Tua could be the second quarterback if those three are um, looking for quarterbacks at the top. Herbert, I think, has been a little bit underrated through much of the process just because of how elite Tua and Burrow were. Herbert's got all of the skills and all of the abilities, and that's really what evaluators start looking at this time of year. So I think it's more about the process. If the draft happened immediately after the season, I think there would be more gap. And part of that is we wouldn't have the time to go back and analyze every throw we're more analyzing games at that point but if you watch Herbert and you see the amazing abilities and the talent and all that stuff um you know that's going to make him rise same thing goes on with Jordan Love from Utah State my number four quarterback this dude is Napoleon Dynamite throw the football over the damn mountain um he's got just an electric arm. A lot of people are trying to force a Mahomes comparison. I think he's a little bit more like Josh Allen. And part of that is when Josh Allen came out, there was the issue with his um, his season before the draft. His penultimate year was better than his final year. And the same thing happened with Jordan Love. Now, Love lost his offensive line, his top three or four receiving weapons, his top tight end, and his top two running backs. 
So everything got depleted. But he also went from 32 touchdowns and six interceptions to 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions, which is pretty poor. So that kind of shaky accuracy, the force throws, the coaching change that also happened at Utah State, in addition to losing talent, depending on how you feel about the kid, is going to dictate what narrative you tell in understanding who he is. But you look at him. All the tools are there. He's had one great season, one shaky season in an order that you don't prefer. And the hope is you can, similarly to Herbert, you can get those tools. You can work on the footwork and get his accuracy right. You can get him to force fewer throws. And if you can do those things, you've got someone who is just uber talented at the quarterback position. But those things are going to take work. And there's always a question on if you're going to be able to change someone's game like that. Is this a guy whose best interest is to sit maybe more than one year, maybe two or three years behind an established quarterback right now? I mean, it's entirely possible. We have a situation for him, or actually a few situations come to draft, where I think it would be great for him to sit behind um, some good quarterbacks and some good offensive minds. If you force him in too early, I think you're looking at a career that's going to be plagued by a ton of early interceptions and not a lot of time to develop. There was a similar issue that happened with Mitchell Trubisky, and everybody laughs at the Bears' pick for what they did back then. Um, but what they saw and what's come out about that pick is Trubisky had 13 starts, and Deshaun Watson had you know mid-40, close to 50 starts. And they said when both of these guys are at 60 starts or when they're both further in their careers that they think that Trubisky would be better at that point. But when you then force someone in too early, when you don't have time to develop their abilities and fix those things to let the athletic traits shine, everything goes to hell. And I think if you force Jordan Love on the field early, that's something that's possible. I think he's a perfect New Orleans Saint. Well, don't start giving things away like that, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of teams that I think could uh, benefit from this. I mean, everybody's going to be interested. If you're the Patriots, you can get someone with that kind of talent, and you know you're smarter than everybody. Maybe you unlock it early. Um, yeah. If you're the Raiders, John Gruden can't stop collecting quarterbacks. But when's Breeze going to retire? When's Rodgers going to be too broken down to play? Um, there's a lot of teams. Could Indianapolis trade into the first for him? Um, he's going to have a lot of suitors because of that talent, but – I'm just hoping he doesn't get picked by a team without a great line or top weapons who then also force him into the fray way too early. Yeah, yeah, and we, we've seen that happen before, too. Obviously, the Trubisky situation there for the Bears, um, you know, that's how, that's how really good prospects are ruined. And it just goes to show how much organizational stability plays into these guys being able to unlock their true, their true abilities. Number five, you put Jalen Hurts here, man, and – I'm shocked he came up this high. Maybe it speaks to the rest of the quarterbacks, or maybe it was just the year he had at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, right? So I think the first thing is that he's he's clearly been showing that he has athletic talent at the quarterback position for years. He was the first offensive SEC player of the year since Bo Jackson. You know, you don't do that without a damn, you know, full skill set to start with. He's the son of the coach. He plays with some of the high IQ. His problem is that he can only make one read and then run. Um, I think he's going to be a developmental player who offers some value in different packages, you know, kind of like what New Orleans did with Taysom Hill. 
you know, you get him or Anthony Lynn as a quarterback wide receiver prospect for late, way later, but you have these guys that you can develop while you are also trying to hone their skills in other ways. Hertz is also a leader. Lincoln Riley, Nick Saban have leaned on him as a leader in their time with him. Um, you know, he's someone who, again, has some talent, and this is just the way that I lean in my scouting. You could go with Jake Fromm, who's a little bit more um, NFL ready, but doesn't have great upside. You know, Jake Fromm, everybody says, is the easy comp in the NFL, and the comp is Andy Dalton, who's a fine quarterback, but you're getting a fine quarterback for eight years. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have some, you know, big-time upside if you can develop his progression. Um, his technique has gotten more compact since he went from Alabama to Oklahoma, and even in the pre-draft process, and uh, he impressed a lot of evaluators with how his throwing motion has become more compact. Um, you know, at, at worst, what you're looking at is someone closer to Tim Tebow, who's also won some NFL games and some big ones, and then made some bad decisions in terms of where to go after Denver. Um, but again, if you let him develop, take a year or two, and he's someone you're going to get in the second or third round. Jordan Love's probably going to be a mid-first to early second round pick, and there's going to be a lot more pressure to force him on the field. Hertz is going to get the time to sit. He's going to get the time to develop these pieces, and he's also going to offer some additional packages. And I think if you can combine those pieces, that's a really valuable you know, piece to have. All right, well, well, how do you feel about another guy who came from a big program and transferred um, just due to a better quarterback being on the roster and Kelly Bryant? Kelly Bryant, I think, is going to be a bit more in that, uh, in that Jalen Hurts way, but I don't think he has shown the same throwing upside. Um, even when Bryant has had success, it's all very quick hitters. You know, he has a lot more size than Jalen, and I think, he's going to be a little bit more pigeonholed into that Taysom Hill role without the quarterback developmental upside. Okay, so you see him as a late-round pick, possibly a, a free agent undrafted. Yeah, I think that's a little bit closer to where Bryant's going to get picked, and he's going to find a place in the NFL. He's got the talent and the athleticism to do so. I think that part's pretty clear. Um, but he's going to need to do some other things. He's not going to be able to just do what Jalen does, develop and offer some packages. He's going to need to add the Taysom Hill pieces and offer some special teams elements as well. You think we're going to see a lot of teams taking chances on guys like Kelly Bryan and Hurts and whatnot just based off that Taysom Hill model now? I think that that's going to become more popular. It's a copycat league. Everybody's been saying that. Um, we've seen other pieces where, you know, the wildcat was popular, and then it's trying to find a quarterback who's going to offer you some wildcat pieces. And now Taysom Hill does. And I don't think it's going to be successful for everyone who goes about doing it. Well, not um, everybody's but, Taysom Hill as well. And that's a big part of why. When you're trying to force people into the box that is unique, you know, by definition, that's one of a kind. You know, but we have a couple people with talents like that. Kelly Bryant, Anthony Lynn out of Kentucky, I think, is another one who offers receiver and wildcat kind of capabilities. You know, he's done well in a smash mouth style offense for Kentucky as quarterback there. So I think that it is going to be on people's minds. But we've also seen quarterbacks transfer to other positions before, particularly in the New England offense. Other people attempt it, you know, and they do it with a much higher fail rate. 
I think that the Hill comp is going to come about a few more times. But again, we're talking about maybe three or four players who are going to be able to, you know, fill that kind of role in hopes that um, they'll offer that weapon to their team. Sean, you like me going deep there before we move on to the running I was very impressed. I wanted you to just keep going, man. That was very impressive. Look at who did their homework for uh, for this podcast. I love it. No big um, deal. No big deal. CEO coming through. Um, <laughs> so the quarterback class is very interesting, obviously, Frenchie. You have your top two elite guys, and you have some projects. And, you know, Herbert seems to be somewhere in the middle of that. And, obviously, Jalen Hurts offering – the versatility that he does. I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes. I think his leadership to what you spoke about is going to get him drafted high because of two premier coaches, you know, just absolutely loving the guy. So I think that goes a long way too. Let's head down into running backs. You got one top guy, three who are close. Your top guy is DeAndre Swift out of running back you, which is Georgia. Tell us why he's your number one running back on your board. He's the only one who's a true three-down running back. Um, he's a very good runner, but he's very good in pass protection. He's great running routes. He's the kind of guy who offers some ability to move outside of the backfield. But he runs that Texas route perfectly. He has the up and out that is just deadly the way he does it. There aren't receivers, or excuse me, there aren't cornerbacks who are going to be able to be physical enough with him. There aren't linebackers who can keep up with his pace. And his hands are as sure as can be. So I think just because he offers some additional versatility, you know, he's not the best lineup, eye formation, and plow ahead running back in the class. But what he is is someone who is going to stay on the field for all three downs and offer you maybe not 400 rushes, but close to that in touches, if that's what you want to give him. Where were you last year on Josh Jacobs? I can't remember. Uh, he was my rookie of the year in addition to top running back. Oh, don't toot, don't toot your own horn and don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. Don't ask me questions when you got the answers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, let's move on to number two there. Two is uh, J.K. Dobbins. Um, he's someone who is just pure north-south running. But he has a very quick sidestep. He's got that kind of uh, cut and up style of running. And his feet, little pistons at the bottom of his ankles, they just chop. He pushes the pile. Um, he's not as elite as Swift. He's okay as a pass catcher. He's okay in pass protection. But he's got a nice north-south style. He works in that Ohio State offense, so he's used to running out of a shotgun formation. He's got some development in the refinement of the position, but I think he's someone who is going to offer you know, some big boom plays just by going up the middle. Poor man's Ezekiel Elliott? Um, no, that's just not his body type. Um, he's a little bit slender to be Zeke. Um I'm not exactly sure who the comp is. Maybe a really poor man's Barkley. Okay. Um, but I think he's just a little bit more up and down. Um, maybe Melvin Gordon is a little closer. If Melvin Gordon played out of a shotgun. All right, so homeless man's Shaquan. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jonathan Taylor, you have number three. Yeah, we're hoping, that, we're hoping Jonathan Taylor is Ezekiel Elliott. He's not going to be. You really want to hope Jonathan Taylor is Tiki Barber. And the reason for that is Taylor's fumble percentage is 1.86, and that's frightening. 
That is a, anything over one and a half is a red flag. That takes you off of most teams' board. But that's not happening with how successful Taylor is running the football. Um, 1% is an issue. You want running backs under 0.5% for their fumble percentage. Jonathan Taylor is more than three times the high end of what you want. And that is scary for a lot of teams. Because if you can't fix that, you can't play him. Those kinds of turnovers, especially from the running back position, you know, we've let our quarterbacks get away with a lot of stuff in terms of fumbles and interceptions and different things like that because of what they can do elsewhere. Running backs don't get that kind of leeway. So if he doesn't fix that, he's going to have some issues getting off the bench. Um, additionally, he's got over 900 carries, and that is a lot of tread going off the tire. There's a lot of good stuff, though. Dude ran under 4-4. If you have one running back, you got one run, you're going eye formation, you're going shotgun, whatever it is, and you need to hand the ball off and get a touchdown, Taylor's your guy. Problem is you're not sure if that's the guy you want to hand the ball off to all game long. But he runs fast. He had a great combine. He's shifty in the open field. He is the Wisconsin offense, and we know what that offense is based on. He looks like he is playing a child's game. He just runs he runs hard and he runs smart. You know, he's a high IQ running back and it's something that you can notice even if you're not versed in picking up some of the intricacies of the position. He's someone who just makes the right cuts in pass, in pass protection though. Again, that's not his specialty. You know, if it's a passing down, if it's third and long, he's coming off the field. That's where he gets his break. Um, he's not receiving threat. He might have had more drops than he had catches. What he is is someone you hand the ball off to and watch them run and close your eyes and hope he doesn't fumble. Well, I mean, I think like Tiki Barber, he could definitely clean up that fumbling and he'd probably be close to an elite running back then, right? It, if he cleans up the fumbling, you know, he's someone who might go end of first to mid second and is a top 15 player in the draft. Nice. You know, but we've also seen a lot of players come in this league with fumbling issues who have a lot lower percentages than Taylor does and not see the field because of how many turnovers they got. So, again, it's something, and I've talked a little bit good and bad for a lot of these players, and nobody's perfect. They all got things to fix. But Taylor's someone who has a lot of elite traits and one or two big red flags. Yeah, those fumbles will kill you. And, honestly, that's almost what did Tiki's career in before he was able to have those three really good years to finish off his career under Coughlin because he was similar to how you're describing Taylor. I mean, you, he was almost unplayable at certain points in the game because you knew the ball was coming out of his hands. Yeah. If he was playing in the seventies, we'd give him a little bit of stick him and just shrug it off, but that's not the league we're in. No. How about your number four? Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Louisiana t uh, state. Oh, he's I like that. Yeah. He's someone who really showed up big this year. Um, he was involved in the offense for the last couple of years. Um, I really liked him when he was backing up there as just kind of a spellback. He's a little bit, I won't call him undersized because he's bringing a lot of size, but he's short. You know, he also showed off some softer hands than you thought he did coming into the season. His previous two years, he had a total of 14 catches. This year, 55 catches. And that jump is huge for offenses. Um, the question with him is more about is his production about what the team did and what the team is or about who Clyde Edwards Hilaire is. The production just boomed this year, but all of his teammates did as well. Um, I'm in on him. I think he's someone you just watch him run. He's got that low stature and he pinballs off of tacklers. 
Um, he's got a strong shoulder. He falls forward in the tackle. I think he's someone who may not be able to be a bell cow, but is going to be a very high, high, um, high impact player as a committee. It sounds like he'd be a really, really good option running out of the read option formation, right? Like, yeah. I think that, that would be something that would be pretty, pretty good for his skill set. Yeah, I think so, too. If you're using a lot of multi-backs, let's say he falls to the bottom of the second and Baltimore can get him. You put him and Ingram in the backfield together. One's kind of ducking out for a quick screen. The other one's getting a read option, potential handoff. Lamar's there. Um, I think his best ability is going to be how to get him in the open field. You know, he didn't do so well when he had to try and find small holes in an old offense. In this one, big holes, he makes some big bursts. If you get him in the open field, if you allow him to run um, a little bit more freely, I think that's when he's going to be most successful. Now, I mean, to I be got, honest with you, man. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Before we move on to number five, I got to ask, um, where do you think – I know he's returning for a senior season, but where do you think Travis Etienne would end up if he decided to come out this year? And what, what are we looking for next year? Etienne, uh, I think – going into next year has to be a first-round pick. On our uh, college football uh, preseason show, I told you I had him as my number one running back going into the season. Now, I think Swift may or may not have passed him. I would probably say likely just because of what Swift showed in the running game. Um, But ATN, he'd be one or two in this class. That speed is just, you can't touch him. And yep. he brings a lot of power along with that speed. His game against Ohio State was phenomenal. Uh, what about um? I'm asking you a million questions here, but I'm just getting excited. What about my guy Chuba out of uh, Oklahoma State? Oh, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard. Yep. Chuba Hubbard, I think, is someone else who's go- he's going to be right in there in that class with Travis Etienne next year. If you're starting off, you know who are going to be the top five running backs going into next season. Hubbard's probably going to be two to Etienne. Um, God, you got to love just watching him run. He comes with energy and power in a spread offense that doesn't usually bring those pieces. Yeah, he and just looks like great, he shot out of a cannon every time he runs. He's got such great burst. Sean, how am I doing so far? You're doing great, man. Do you want? <laughs> I mean, you can pat yourself on the back, too. I, Thank I, you. I dig it. Um, yeah, bring in the college football knowledge. This is this is big. Go Pokes, right? Go Pokes? No, no, no. You know who I'm a fan of now. <laughs> I know. You're no, you you gave up on the Pokes. All right, it's Frank. It's the Johnnies, up... right? Because I got a great sleeper for you if it's St. John's. Oh, football? Yeah. <laughs> who is it? Oh, you'll have to hang tight, my friend. We can't jump ahead. Okay. All right. Cam, Cam Akers rounds out your top five running backs. Says you, yeah, you Cam uh, Akers... might be a little bit of Dobbins. Very close to Dobbins. Um, this number five spot, I really think there's one elite running back. There's three guys who are, you know, damn good. And then after that, five is going to be Cam Akers or Zach Moss or a few other people kind of all fighting in that range. Um, Akers is someone who I like. Again, his offense was Willie Taggart's shotgun, you know, hurry, let's try and get 90 plays. You know, it's very Chip Kelly-esque. Um, but Cam Akers was the focal point. It's trying to run that offense without great quarterback play. He's someone who just kind of might have a little shuffle at the line of scrimmage, 
but he's at his best when he just blasts through. Arm tackles don't bring this guy down. Someone who tested great, showed off a lot more agility than he was able to have playing behind an atrocious Florida State line. Um, and he's someone who offers great potential as a receiver. But if he's in the backfield on a passing down, you know he's going out because he offers almost nothing in pass protection. All right, so he could be kind of a running back with a, you know, have a couple packages laid out for him with maybe a more, maybe more well-established bell cow in the backfield. Yeah, I think he'd be someone who'd be good pairing. Um, you want to talk about like a third down back, but those need to have that kind of pass protection quality as well. You know, the best ones always do. But with Cam Akers, I think he's someone who is going to be, if you have kind of a bulkier kind of, um, you know, heavy hitting, but also pass protection back to pair him up with. I think that would be best. Sounds but like a Baltimore Raven to me. Again, there are a lot of running backs who are going to all sound like Baltimore Ravens, but I think <laughs> Akers would be a good one. And as opposed to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think Akers might be available for them second round. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brenty, let's get into – one of the most highly talked about positions in this draft, especially with not only the talent in it, but also the depth that it possesses, the wide receiving core. I mean, some of these prospects are about as exciting as we've seen in years. Rank your top five and just go in order for us. All right, here we go. I'm going to start off by saying again, with the depth of this class, it, I can't express that it's not a slight to some guys who aren't going to be in this wide receiver is one position where you're going to find guys in my first round mock who aren't in my top five at the position, just because there's so many damn good ones. But my top five, I started at the top of Jerry Judy from Alabama. Um, and this again is about what I think is the most important traits in a receiver. Jerry Judy is the best route runner. Todd McShay, if you're fans of his says Judy's the best route runner he's ever evaluated. Um, Judy doesn't have a lot of highlight catches because Judy's so damn open. You know, his just quickness at the route, he cuts at the top, taking two steps where everybody else is taking three. Um, he's got the ability and the athleticism to make the kinds of plays and catches that, you know, we might say, oh, can he do blank? He can. He's got all of the abilities, and his number one attribute is route running, which I think is the most important thing um, that a wide receiver can have. And every wide receiver is just raving about it. Shannon Sharp, I know he played tight end, but he's got a gold jacket, and I think he knows a thing or two. He's just raving about Judy's route running as well. Um, I think that Judy is someone who just gets open, and if you get him, you made your quarterback's day a lot easier. C.D. Lambs at number two from Oklahoma. His coverages are always a lot tighter, and that's in a worse coverage conference. But he's someone who makes big catches and difficult catches, in that tight coverage, he is spectacular against the run, or after the run, after the catch, on the run. I know words. Um, <laughs> he's someone in the screen game. He has become part of your running game. He is someone who will go leap for it downfield. He's someone that you just want the ball in his hands. He's a playmaker first and foremost. Get the ball in his hands. Let the guy make a play. That's going to be it. Uh, Henry Ruggs the Henry Ruggs the third is my next. Um, Henry Ruggs, you start with speed. He ran the most disappointing 40 at the combine, and he ran a 4-2-7. Um, he plays faster. At the Alabama practices where they use all of their GPS technology, 
uh, he broke 23 miles per hour on a regular basis in game speed. And we all go nuts when Tyreek Hill gets close to or breaks 22. He's a better route runner than speed guys are too, especially when it comes to trying to hit the double move on the deep post. But he's also got a quick out that lets him turn up and you know make a play from there. He's got a home run gear. He's the go-home guy. Get the ball, go home. That's what he's doing. Um, my number four, this I think is where the class separates from those top three. And you're going to hear a lot of names like Brandon Ayuk, who's another very good route runner, or Justin Jefferson, who orders, offers a lot as a big slot guy. Um, but my number four is Denzel Mims. He's someone who makes spectacular catches look easy. He is one of the hottest motor wide receivers. He might be the best blocker at wide receiver, and I know that's not something that carries a lot of weight, but it's something where you just see how he plays and the passion he's got, and you appreciate it. But, man, when that ball goes up, he wants to bully the corner. Um, he gets physical at the line, off the line, in the air, wherever it is, um, to go make a play. And he's got an ability to make some physical runs after the catch, too, which you got to love. He wants to run over the corner instead of run away from him. And my number five is LaVisca Chanot Jr. Um, from the University of Colorado. It's a little higher than a lot of people have him, but damn, he is a weapon. The dude looks like a linebacker. He played every position on the offense except for offensive linemen. He's got some very good route running ability. He runs that slant powerfully. He gets the slant, and then he'll go down with the linebacker, not being taken down with it. Um, he's got that kind of Debo Samuel feel where the right offensive coordinator is going to use him as a weapon, not just a receiver. Versatility is kind of the name of the game, and he does all of it well. And I'll also say this. In terms of yards per route against man coverage, he had 4.98 yards per route in man coverage, which is mind-blowing. That's phenomenal. Jerry Judy was really high. He was top five at 3.14 yards per route against man. Lamb was 2.38. And Ruggs raised some eyebrows with 1.08, but part of that is so many balls going elsewhere um, in that group. You know, LaVisca Cheneau was the Colorado offense. Everybody knew it, and because of just how fast, how physical, and how athletic he is, in addition to the nuance he plays the receiver position with, especially against press coverage, you know, he's someone who you just couldn't stop. I'm really excited about these prospects because we've had some really good receivers. We've had some interesting names. I think back to last year's, you know, obviously you had A.J. Brown, you had Hollywood Brown, Metcalf falling to the last pick, I believe, of the second round. Yeah, he was the eighth receiver taken. Yeah, and I mean he had moments this year, but everybody was talking about how how physical he was and how you know much the combine did for him. I mean, you just don't have to find any reasons with these guys. They're just they jump out the they jump off the screen at you, right? Yeah, and teams are also you know we saw it last year. We had seven receivers go before Metcalf, who blew up the combine, and Metcalf also had a pretty good year. A lot of that, you know, it's tough not to in Seattle, but. The man developed as the season went on, and that's what you're hoping for. Um, this year, where we saw teams talking themselves into guys who might have been rated a little bit lower, personally, I had Metcalf in my top five for wide receivers, so him going that far was a shock to us all. But you had Andy Isabella's going before him and other people. Um, you know, we're not needing to talk ourselves into receivers in this draft. You need to talk yourself out of them so you can draft, you know, another position during the draft. 
Well, if you look at value in this draft, there are going to be so many receivers who are just graded higher than players that are getting taken. And part of that is because, you know, there's about in the top 100 players, we're talking 30, 30 receivers might be rated in the top 100 players. And if you've already got one receiver in the draft, how many more picks are you putting there? So we're going to be staring at guys who make these big highlight catches and ran this and cut like this and center of gravity that and yards per route run against man coverage and all these things going. How are we taking defensive tackles again? Well, we got a draft that might have 70 receivers going. That's more than two per team. Yeah, this is crazy. I was just going to say, if you're a fantasy owner, there's going to be a lot of names to pay attention to this year coming out of this draft that could make their mark as, you know, top-of-the-line receivers, top-tier weapons. Which, out of these five that you mentioned, who's the most versatile as far as route trees concerned or can step in and not only stretch the field but also be pretty good in the wide receiver screen game and whatnot? Uh, versatility in a lot of different, you know, if we're just talking about who can do the most things, it's probably Chanel because no other receiver here is lined up at running back. Uh, yep. If we're talking about how, we're, you know, in terms of how diverse is the route tree combined with ability in the screen game, we're talking about C.D. Lamb. Um, Judy didn't do a lot in the um, screen game because you have Ruggs and Devontae Smith and also Jalen Waddle, and two of those guys are likely to be first-round picks next year as well. Um, if you're just talking about pro-ready, the number one thing that receivers have to do when they get to this league is learn that their routes aren't going to work. Jerry Judy's routes will work. You know, he's as elite a route runner as has come into the draft. I mean, there you go right there. There's just, um, there's just so many okay. guys I want to ask you about. We'd be talking till tomorrow, so. Well, hit me with a couple of um, I want to talk to you about the guy. I watched a couple Penn State games this year, K.J. Halmer, as yes. well as T. Higgins. K.J. Halmer, that man. Ooh, you want to talk quickness. Like, you want to talk a player you want in your slot. Like, yep. K.J. Handler is the guy. He can line up outside and do it from there, too. But, man, just let him go to town on a couple slot corners or linebackers across the way and just make people miss. Yep. What about T. Higgins? Higgins, I'm not as high on as most. I think he's a jump ball catcher who's not overly physical. Um, but he tested really well, surprisingly well. So he's got a little bit more than... Um, was expected in that regard. I'd be a, if you watch the LSU Clemson tape, you know you watch him go up against now granted two incredible corners in Fulton and Stingley. Stingley being the primary corner, but and as a freshman is going to be a top five, top ten pick. Um, and he, he just kind of got physical by these guys. But I do think Higgins with a little bit more route development. That would give him the separation to where his length is going to be more of an advantage. So he just is able to make you miss and get a little bit of extra separation from the route. Now we're talking about someone whose athleticism is really going to take over and shine when we get to trying to get to the high point of the ball. Last guy I want to talk about, I watched a little bit of him this year and actually wrote his name down just because I thought he jumped off the screen, was Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. Minnesota, yes, a Minnesota tape. Now we're talking, Tom. Tom, this is beautiful. <laughs> oh, Thank I you, boys. It. Tyler Johnson is someone that I think a lot of teams are going to have their eye on. He's going to be a day three guy, but he's bringing length. And when you talk about route tree, his is as deep as anybody's. 
You know, so he's going to come in with that high IQ football that teams want with the full route, do a little bit of everything. I think he's someone who won't have the highest of ceilings, but he's got a high floor too. He's going to find a home in the NFL. Sounds great, man. I'm happy to hear it because I really liked watching him play. This mm-hmm. class really is incredible. I mean, I just hearing you talk about all these guys, all of these guys sound like they could be first, second round talents and, and, and players that could go. Just the depth is incredible to me in addition to the talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is something that we're going to look back to in five to seven years from now and we're going to say, yep, that's a future Hall of Famer. That's a future Hall of Famer. He's a future Hall of Famer. It's crazy. Tight end is not one of those positions, though. Yeah, if you want to do, if you want to go through an easy class where I can tell you about why these guys aren't so good, we got spoiled last year with our tight ends, and um, we're paying. Yeah, for Hawkinson it. and Fant both went in the uh, both went in the first round. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, this, that was a really good class. I miss those days. Um, but I'll tell you what, this might be the only place where I'm going to get to talk about the Dayton Flyers. So I'm going to hold on to that. Uh, the number one tight end in this class is kind of universally thought to be Cole Komet. He's also a relief pitcher at Notre Dame in addition to being a uh, tight end there. He's pretty good to okay as a blocker. He has a fine release. He's got some ball security questions. He's a really good athlete. He's someone who finds ways to get open. He feels the hole in zone. He's able to push off and get some space against linebackers, and he's too big for safeties. Um, so he's someone who, you know, has some fundamental issues, um, but is going to, you know, be the first tight end off the board. He's probably going to be a second round pick. Um, he's someone who, as a tight end, has room for development, but the size and a lot of the attributes you want. Adam Troutman, my Dayton Flyer, he was a Senior Bowl standout. His time at the Senior Bowl got everybody, including myself, to go back and watch Dayton football. So that's impressive in and of itself. Um, Everybody talks about his work ethic. The dude just works harder. He's the best blocker in the class. He's got great hands. He's got nice routes. He's still got the size you're looking for at the tight end position. His motor's hot. He wants to drive everyone he blocks into the dirt. Um, the only question is, who's the tape against? Um, you know, that's always going to be a question with these small school guys, but the dude showed the ability to you know, go up head-to-head against some of the guys, even with the blocking drills at the Senior Bowl. I think a lot of teams probably fell in love with him there, and I expect him to be a um, second- to third-round pick. Harrison Bryant is someone who is solid at everything, but that's about it. Um, he's also someone who has played a lot of different positions. He's more of a slot guy, but he's also been a lot in line often. He's also lined up as a fullback in the backfield, and that's honestly where his best blocking production came. Um, And that's what he is as a blocker. He's productive. He's a bit undersized. He's about 6'2", but he's someone who makes a lot of difficult catches. He has a lot of strength running and a bit of shiftiness after the catch, and that's going to carry him out. Um, through. I, I've got him a little bit higher than most do, but um, I think he's someone who's going to be really successful. Bryson Hopkins at Purdue came in as one of the top receivers, um, or excuse me, one of the top tight ends, but it's only because of his receiving ability. He's basically a non-factor in the run game. Really, he's an athlete playing tight end. He had a lot of production. He had the second best 40 at tight end this year. 
But what you're looking at is an athlete and a receiver kind of masquerading as a tight end. And that does offer value, but it's something that still needs to get kind of honed and some of the uh, edges kind of sharpened. Um, Thad Moss is my number five. He's someone else, not unlike Troutman, who's a great blocker, which I appreciate because that's a big part of the tight end position, uh, even today when people don't want to pretend so. He's got the best hands, most sure hands in the class. He's great with the ball in the air, but he's not so great until the ball's in the air. He struggles a bit with his route running. He doesn't get the same kind of separation, but not unlike his pops, he can moss some people. Um, He also had two surgeries with a foot injury after transferring from NC State to LSU, something to keep an eye on. Um, But he's someone that I think is going to have, as long as he has that availability we're hoping for, is going to at least find a spot as the number two tight end pretty quickly with such sure hands and, you know, strong blocking ability. Looking yeah, at, I love the team. Sorry, oh, Sean. Ahead, Looking ahead to next year, a guy that I had big hopes for. Um, sorry to look ahead, but tight ends suck this year. Um, yep. I mentioned him on our earlier pods. Is Pitts out of Florida. How do you feel about him? He's someone that has – I'm going through and saying, you know, Brian offers this versatility, but he doesn't have this. And Cole Komet, he's not – he's it. That guy, just watch the Florida tape, and that Florida passing game really developed this year under Dan Mullen. You know, we've got a couple great Florida receivers coming into the draft this year as well. Um, Van Jefferson especially has some phenomenal route running, and I think, you know, watch how they utilize him at the tight end. You know, that's it just goes to show you the respect they have for his game when you've got two guys that are getting drafted this year, and he's still a focus point in the offense. I guess I'm officially a college football genius, picking that guy up myself. Um, a lot's changed. A lot's changed in the year. Frenchie, going back to Moss for a second, I was really impressed with him down the stretch of the season, starting in that Alabama game. He made some big time plays, mm-hmm. and he he interests me because of that potential that you talked about. Um, the injuries obviously held him back, and this is a weak class, but. Where do you see him going in the draft? And is he a guy who would surprise you if, you know, by the end of his rookie year into his second year, he's a guy that's become a focal point of an offense? He's got he's got some work. I mean, there are questions. If you can't separate and if you don't have that great feel for where the soft spots in the zone are, you know, as a tight end, you're going to have some struggles. Those are some mental pieces that I think take a little bit longer to develop than technical pieces just with route running. Um, So those are things, again, he's got his Hall of Fame father as well to kind of help him hone in on. As long as the injury heals up well, I think he's someone who can develop in that way. But this is someone who's also, you know, we're talking rounds three through five. You know, and he could be as late as pick 150 in this class. So he's not someone that a lot of people are looking at you know, with this, I've got him a little higher than most at five, um, even in a weak class. So, would it surprise me? Yes. Would it shock me? No. Okay. Perfect answer. So, I want to move on to offensive tackle, where you have written here it's the best class in a decade. Yeah. Super strong at the top. And we know that great teams are built from the inside out. And it happens to be the case this year that a lot of teams with young quarterbacks or, you know, looking to take that next step, have top 10 picks and are going to be looking at these tackles. We've heard about them a lot over the last couple months, but you're our guy. So you have Tristan Wirfs, number one. Talk about him. 
Yeah, so worse, this dude is just a freak athlete. On the Rich Eisen show, he talked about how he threw discus so far. He had to change his uh, practice schedule because he was throwing it into the tennis courts. Um, <laughs> the guy is, he blew up the combine. Um, he just, as an athlete, he's phenomenal, but he also is the first ever true freshman to start at offensive tackle for Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. And that's a long group to have your name at the top of. Um, he's got all of the quickness and the footwork that you want. He's got just his feet are as quick as you could ask for at the position. He's got great flexibility, and that helps a lot in pass protection. The way he swings the gate open, um, that's just what you want. And he's got the kind of upper body strength you're hoping for. There's a little bit of refinement that needs in his hand placement, but his other than that, you know, we're kind of nitpicking here. He's he's a top 10 pick at offensive tackle, and he's someone who's going to be ready to play. And I'm someone who just loves seeing those big boys come out of the Big Ten, um, the Iowa and the Wisconsin offensive linemen. I feel, you know, come in ready. The coaching they get at, at the position is great. Um, and I just kind of he's, – he's someone I just believe in. We're talking about nitpicking between some of these top guys here. He's got the athleticism, and with some of the issues in hand placement, we're talking about someone who might be better in zone run schemes instead of some power ones. Again, if you really want to get down to some of the nitty-gritty, but he's someone that, you know, we're talking about a top-ten guy. He's played on the right, but there's another first-round pick that was playing on the left as well. Um, You know, if you look at some of the analytics, the difference between right and left isn't as, you know, resounding as we'd like to make it out to be out in the rest of the world. Um, I'll also say this, he had, does a great job when it comes to either stretch running or toss. Um, he does a great job of turning his hips to control the defensive end. And that's something that I think is going to really help him, um, you know, keep developing. He's the kind of prospect we haven't seen again. Offensive line is a little tricky. If you look at quarterbacks themselves, you know, in ages like 26 to 36 to 27 to 37, whatever that gap is there, there's one starter. You know, we have Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck would be there, but there was a decade where the college football didn't give us starting quarterbacks, and now they're doing that. Um, I think we went through some of the same gap with offensive line just a few years later because of how the game has changed. And the game changed in the NFL to be a little bit more like the college, a little bit more spread. So now we're getting – uh, you know, offensive linemen who are used to playing the game that they're moving into. And it's a tougher transition than running back or some other positions where we've been seeing consistent players come in. But I think this is going to be the start of kind of a turning point and having some good offensive line drafts with a couple other guys who will be coming down the pipeline. That's uh, a- Ed- oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, just move on forward, but did you want to make a point? Oh, no, I was just going to say to your point was, you know, I think of Quentin Nelson being that kind of guy out of Notre Dame. I mean, he stepped right in and he immediately changed the entire tenor of that Indianapolis Colt line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there's a couple guys like that. And we've, we've been seeing more inside guys coming about in, in uh, later years just because the different pulls in terms of athletics or strength and what you're looking for between uh, tackle and guard. We've seen a ton of tackles who've been coming into the league from college. You know, and the first thing people want to say about them is, I think they need to move to guard. I think they need to move to guard. Well, now we've got a bunch of tackles who are tackles and are going to stay in that position. Um, All right. Moving along. Yeah, moving along. Jedrick Wills. 
My number two from Alabama, again, right set, right tackle, but that's because two is a southpaw. So for those of you looking for blindside protection, that's what Jedrick Wills did. Doesn't have the pure athleticism as works, but the dude is just a technician in pass protection. He punishes defenders in the run game. One of the things I like watching most about Wills is his hand placement. You know, the dude has those boxer hands. He's looking to get through the chops, you know, keep his hands inside the defensive end or the linebacker, and that's something he does great. Um, This is a guy who's going to fit every scheme. If you've got a question about him, the big question is that he had a couple too many false starts. Uh, not only for my displeasure, but also that coach down in Alabama had a couple uh, flare-ups about it as well. My no- my number three tackle is Andrew Thomas from Georgia. You know, there was a time he was overrated, and now he's jumped back to underrated. You know, at the draft, we're talking about him right around pick ten. You know, maybe going a little bit higher, closer to five, maybe falling back to fifteen, and I think that's a legitimate range for him. You watch his tape against LSU, and that's the player you know we're talking about. Someone who sets the edge in the run game, isn't a stud athlete, keeps the you know keeps the protection there at left tackle, and then going up against just a pure speed rusher. At one point, they get off of on him, and he gives up a sack just because he couldn't keep up. He couldn't turn his hips open in the same way. Glavon Chasen, you know, sacked from before Thomas was off the line. And you're going to have those occasional plays against Thomas, but beyond that, he is just solid. He's someone that, again, might not have the highest of uh, ceilings compared to Wills or Works, but he's someone who I think is going to have a very high floor as a longtime starter at tackle in the SEC where he played, uh, where for the most part, he played great consistently. Uh, my fourth is a guy who's been having a bad week, I'd say, in Makai Becton from Louisville. He's got a couple concerns, and I'll get through those first because I want to talk about some of the positive aspects with him. He only had 73 pure pass protection snaps where there's nothing but a quarterback dropping back, throwing the ball. He also failed his drug test at the combine. And we have one GM who said he he has such fears about Becton's eating habits and love for eating and cooking that he's not going to trust him to take care of his body. Becton's had a few uh, issues controlling his weight, and that doesn't usually matter at 300 pounds for tackle. But Becton is 6'6", 6'7", at 364 pounds. And we're talking about a mountain of a man. If his weight is controlled, if you get him in a nutrition program and he sticks with it, you're looking at a dancing bear. If you can change him from someone who's just trying to maul everybody into someone who can dance and pass protection, you know, we're talking gold jacket kind of potential here. But if he can't get those other pieces, you know, under control, starting, you know, first and foremost with the failed drug test, um, you know, we're going to have some big questions about a big man. The top four in this class, I think, are set off. Those are really, you know, top guys who I think will be top uh, 15 picks. After that, it's just kind of looking through um, the next round of guys. I think there's probably another four who will be taken between um, Becton or Thomas, whoever the last tackle is. Okay. And, the, and probably like mid, mid-second mid round. Uh, my fifth one here is Josh Jones from Houston. I like him because he's got a nice push in the run game and is a very good pass protector, a bit better in run. But he also only allowed four pressures on 372 pass protection snaps. And you'll notice I didn't say sacks. 
because those weren't happening. Um, he's got a great extension with his arms on the interior of the defensive player. Um, even though his technique has some problems with where he distributes his weight and where his shoulders line up, you know, the success is right there and how few pressures he had. And you can work on some refinement of technique. You know, what you're seeing is someone who, again, in, you know, in our small conferences for Houston and some other schools, which I'm going to be talking about, um, you're still talking about someone who, for the course of a season, allowed four pressures. And that's the kind of line production that everybody's hoping to see. So someone's getting a stud here, even though he's not nearly as heralded as the first four guys. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, again, he, he doesn't have that stud quality, but you're getting a very good tackle with some upside if you can refine some other issues. One guy I want to talk about before we move on to the interior is Austin Jackson from USC. Yep. I mean, he's only 20 years old, but I'd like to. What round do you think he's going to go in? Because I'd like to see the Jets scoop him up and be able to move George Fant over to right tackle. Yeah, if uh, if you're bringing him in, I would not be trying to start him at left right away. I think he's someone who will be a second round pick and is entirely possible for your Jets at 48. Um, but he is someone who needs a lot more work and refinement than someone, say, Jones does. That being said, he is an athlete at offensive tackle. When he gets right, his tape can be as good as anybody's. He offers a great push in the run game, which I like. You know, But he's going to need some development. Like you said, he's only 20 years old, you know, which is a year younger than most of the guys in this class. Actually, most of the top four here, I think, are about 21. Um I really would have liked to have seen Jackson go back for one more year to develop and really push his stock further, come into the league a little bit more refined. But when you're talking first, second round money, you know, I'm not going to be upset with anybody who turns that down. It's not my place. But he's someone who needs to kind of get the intricacies of the position, work on turning his hips and pass protection so he can get his hands inside. Because when his hands are inside and he's pushing forward, you know, he can be as effective as anyone. Tom, again, with the college football acumen, this is about as impressive of work as him right now on this podcast as it is for you, Frenchie. Yeah, um, if I can be real quick on two more guys, Ezra Cleveland was a standout at the Senior Bowl. He's a very shifty, mobile tackle and uh, coming from Boise State. And Isaiah Wilson from Georgia is kind of, you know, I'd say Becton Jr., but he's about the same size, 6'7", 350. Great push in the run game, needs some refinement. Um, between those four guys, between Jones, uh, Isaiah Wilson, Cleveland, and Jackson, I think those are going to be the next four tackles off the board. Another really deep class for a position of high importance. I mean, this is, this is going to shape out to be a draft where teams you're going to look back on and think that this is where teams were built. I mean, this is the kind of draft where you're getting players who are ready to come in and be and be stars moving into the interior offensive line Caesar Ruiz you have number one out of Michigan this is a guy you've been talking to me a lot about you're very excited about him you see him in the maybe the uh first part of the second round would you say um if I was projecting I'd say he's a bit higher than that but he could fall to early second we're looking mid first to early second for him there's a couple teams who are talking about really loving him um, and they're picking towards the back half of that. But it's very possible to me he's the kind of center that's going to be worth trading up for somebody if they want to go get him. 
All right. I mean, and, you know, again, you like those maulers in the Big Ten on the line, right? And yeah, he's got guy. everything you could want. He's also a lot quicker than most of the interior guys are talking about. He can get playing a little bit heavier, but the man's hands, you know, when he lands his fist inside your chest, you go backwards. And he can control defensive linemen with his hands and with his hips, and they kind of work in sync together. Um, his natural position is center. He's someone who could easily play guard. I've got no doubts about his ability to do that. Um, If I was the betting man right now, I'd say he comes off the board Thursday, but it's possible he's there um, early at the start of Friday. My next interior O-lineman is Lloyd Cushenberry III from Louisiana State. Um, At LSU, they've got a tradition where you get 18 uh, as your number if you show the Tiger way if you're selfless, if you're hardworking, the sorts of things that, you know, they value down in Baton Rouge. Lloyd Cushenberry was the first ever offensive lineman to get to wear that number. And that just kind of shows you the leadership and the other intangibles that you're getting if you bring him in. He's also got great length, his long arms. You know, the dude is a condor, and his arms just help get that push and that extension that's going to help you um, you know, help your running backs get an extra couple inches in the run game, and it's going to help that, um, you know, pocket be a little bit more, you know, extended for your quarterbacks to play in. His big thing is just missing with those hands. He can fall forward a little bit, get beat with a uh, swim move, but if you were watching his tape and counting misses, you're going to have to watch multiple games to get to one, and if you're watching games to count his hits, you're going to run out of paper before the game's over. Uh, number three, I got Matt Hennessy. Hennessy's out of Temple. Dude is just a – he's a technician. He knows how to play center. He's a bit undersized. He's not super athletic, not the most mobile guy. The only thing that, you know, sticks out about Matt Hennessy is his tape and his name, but mostly his tape. The dude is going to have the most boring combine. If he had a pro day, nobody would want to show it. He's someone who gets drafted higher if the draft is right after the season and all you get is tape because he knows how to play the center position. He knows how to control nose tackles. He knows how to call the line. He knows how to um, pair up against the switches. He knows where to find the double teams, and he can get to the second level. Jonah Jackson is my only guard. In my top five here, and Jackson is a true guard and is a high IQ pass protecting stud from Ohio State. Dude wins hand fights. He's not getting bullied. And he's someone who is just going to be able to use his hands and keep the distance from you and his quarterback. And then my last player is Tyler Biadich from Wisconsin. Um, his nickname in Wisconsin is Tyler Badass. And nice. From a farm. He grew up milking cows. I don't think he wants to go back to doing that because he plays like he's trying to get away from everything. Um, He's very talkative. He's a hammer in the run game. He's got quite a few surgeries, and that's the only thing that's been dropping him. His tape suffered this year because he had uh, hip surgery and a shoulder surgery. Um, His shoulder surgery actually just came after this season because he wanted to play through the season and keep putting it off. He had a hip surgery the year before that. Um, the dude can play through a lot of pain. I think that part's pretty clear. The injury concerns are there, but you've got zero concern on the man you're drafting if you get Tyler Biotic. So three of your top five interior linemen here out of the Big Ten just continues to speak to 
that's just the quality of ball that they're playing in that conference. A lot of leaders here too. Um, so you got to be excited about that. Versatility wise, you mentioned Ruiz. He could play guard if he had to. Do the rest of these guys kind of line up? They could kind of interchange. Do you see any of them being able to play tackle at any point? Or there is really just plug in and these are interior linemen. Yeah, their, the their whole one, careers. The only one who could potentially kick out would be Jonah Jackson because he's been at guard. Jackson's also a bit older than most of these players. After he graduated, he transferred from Rutgers to Ohio State because, because, and I quote, he wanted to be with a winning program, and I got to respect that. If that's yeah, absolutely. Here in college, um, but he came in. He's great in pass protection, so maybe he would do that. And he's a very good athlete. There's a potential for that, but I think that um, he's most likely to stay inside. A lot of the centers and guards, I think, you know, they're a bit interchangeable for the most part. I think. Uh, Hennessy, Biotish, and Cushenberry are going to be true centers. Cushenberry, I think, offers a bit more at guard than the other two. Um, but for the most part, we're looking at, if I was picking these guys, it would be, you know, aside from Jackson, I'm looking at true centers. All right. Tom, you have anything uh, you want to throw in there before we move into the inside of the defensive line? No, you got anybody from Minnesota or another school? No, I don't have anybody on the interior. Let's move on to the defense right now. The defensive, we'll we'll do some edge rushers. Go edge first. You got it. Best player in the draft right here, Chase Young. I've been trying to comp him to Khalil Mack for a while now. You know, and don't forget, Khalil Mack was the fifth overall pick behind Von Miller and some others coming out of Buffalo because he wasn't so refined. Young has the same speed, the same burst, the bend. Like, he, he doesn't look like he should be able to move the way he does. You know, there's some sort of centripetal force that's occurring. Go talk to a physicist. It looks like he should be falling down. Like, when Michael Jackson, like, leans forward, and you're like, the dude should be on his chest right now. All right, but somehow has the ability to just stay on his feet. That's Chase Young coming around the edge. Um, he's not as sound as the Boses were out of Ohio State last year, where he's coming from, but he's way more athletic than they are. He's a stud. Whoever drafts him, congratulations. You got the best player in the draft. Moving on. Right. Chase from uh, LSU, another LSU player. There's quite a few in this draft, and when you have a season like they did, that's what you expect. This is a guy who's an athlete more than he was a productive player. His best year was four and a half sacks, and for the Giants fans out there, you're thinking, hey, Kyle Fackrell, too. Um, Jason also tore his ACL in 18. Those are really his only problems. The dude knows the snap count. He had a lot more pressures than he did sacks. He's got an explosion. And the explosion makes you think, wow, this guy somehow picked up on your signal. No, the dude has rockets on his feet and gets in the backfield. When I was talking about Andrew Thomas getting beat once on LSU, it was chasing. And Andrew Thomas was getting out of his uh, stance while Fromm was on his ass. You know, chasing speed crushed Alabama this year. He was chasing down Tua and forcing him to run around when he wasn't ready. He's got some good counters. He's got good bend in the body. He plays every play like it's his last. If you can get him to have a few more moves and a couple more pass rush uh, counters, he's a guy who's really going to shine for you. I think he's going to be around 15. We're talking someone going from 10 to 20. Um, After that, we're talking about three guys who are going to be picked probably from 20 to 40, somewhere in there. Um, my number three is Uter Gross Matos. 
athlete, talking three syllables here. The dude is meant to develop a spin move. He's got that kind of Dwight Freeney body where it, he's got those long arms, and if he could just extend and use his quick twitch to spin, like that move is going to kill people. He doesn't have it in his repertoire. He needs moves. He's an athlete who can get after the quarterback and just doesn't have the pass rushing you know, knowledge and wherewithal and ability yet because he seems like he hasn't been taught it. It sometimes looks like he's playing slower because he's trying to figure out the game, but the dude is an athlete. He's going to be someone. You just say, go get the quarterback. Let's not scheme it. Let's not plan it and let him run. That's where Gross Matos is going to be at his best. And number four, I have AJ Epinesa. He's kind of a three, four inch, that three technique, five technique kind of hybrid guy. Um, He's a guy who's going to keep his hand in the dirt. Not so flexible, not the best athlete. He's the anti-growth matzos. What we're talking about here is just massive production, high IQ, great pass rush counters. The no, the more the more moves that he can get, the better. And the reason for that is he's not beating you with athleticism. He's beating you because he knows what to do. He knows how to counter. He didn't test well. He's someone where the longer we wait, the worse his stock is going to get because his tape is better than all of the other things that happen after the game. And then my number five, I have Zach Vaughn as an edge because I think that's where he's going to play most. Um, He's likely going to be standing up, um, but he's going to be at the line. I've got him as my fifth best at the edge. He's got a lot of versatility. He could stand up. He could go hand in the dirt in a two, three-point stance. Um, whatever it is, he's also got the ability to drop into coverage. Doesn't have a lot of length, but what he does have is a lot of pass rush counters. No quick burst, but he plays quick after the fact. Um, and most of his sacks are just, you know, it, you're watching the play and you're wondering, huh, how did he get there? And it's because he knows what to do and he knows how to handle tackles and guards and tight ends and whoever you're putting on it. Um, he's someone who was lauded for his football IQ for you know the whole year, and he's also someone who tested positive for a diluted urine sample at the combine. So you know that raises an IQ question for me. Um, but if you watch the tape, he's a damn good player. Offers a lot of defensive versatility, and is someone who, as long as these diluted samples aren't an actual issue, is going to be really good for someone. Likely at the top of the second, maybe late first. Let's talk about. I want to go. I'm sorry. Oh, Let's talk about Curtis Weaver. Curtis Weaver, man, you want to talk about somebody plummeting. He's got the same AJF Anessa thing. Uh, Curtis Weaver's coming out of Boise State, for those of you unfamiliar with him. He was massively productive. He's someone who has a very strong motor, but he's someone who tested really poorly and was talked about as being a raw athlete, goes to the combine and didn't show a lot of athleticism. Yeah. Um, I He's getting a little bit of a raw deal right now. Again, it's that symptom of we're getting away from, you know, the tape and everything. And it's also kind of a product of the situation we're in right now. I think it's going to be affecting a lot of different drafts. And it's not just, you know, oh, I didn't get the pro day. I didn't get to take this guy to dinner. I didn't get to do X, Y, and Z. But there's a lot of GMs who are looking at, I need to meet the person if I have questions, and they're going to go the safer route if they don't get the chance to do that. I also think if you're not at the combine or if you tested poorly just at the combine, like someone like Curtis Weaver who was hoping that he would have his pro day to show off, he's better than that. 
um, you know, you're getting hurt by this. If you're a small school guy who didn't get a combine invite, you're not going to have a medical. And a lot of teams will just write you off the board. And another thing, um, just in terms of, you know, the effects of this sort of thing, um, I think it's going to help guys who seem pretty sound just kind of get that rise because they feel a lot safer and it's harder to get that, you know, feel with player. But if you've got a red flag, there are going to be a lot of teams whose draft boards are going to be shrinking quickly this year because they're not going to have the time and the opportunity to get to meet with you. And I know we're on zoom and everything. That's how I'm working. And that's how you folks are likely working too. Um, But there are a lot of GMs who just don't look at it and don't feel about it the same way. Last guy I want to talk about, talk about a freak athlete that needs to develop a better motor as well as some more skills. Julian Okawara from Notre Dame. I really liked him this year watching those games, but he he kind of disappeared at times. Yeah, so uh, Okawara is someone who has the same kind of – he's enigmatic almost because you look at him and you're like, all right, he's got everything that I could want. And – he goes through and he plays the game with that. And then all of a sudden he just kind of disappears for a little bit. Um, His technique isn't there. It's not what you're hoping that it would be. So you're trying to figure out, you know, what is it? But then all of a sudden he just blasts off the screen, you know, and he looks just as good as could be from there. Um, Khalid Kareem is the complete flip side on the same defense. Um, Kareem is someone who has all of the technical ability, but doesn't come close to Okwara's um, talent and athleticism. You know, if we could combine them, we'd either have someone not getting drafted or a first-round pick, but um, they played off each other really well for what was a pretty strong defensive line in Notre Dame. I like Okwara's athleticism. I like Kareem's skill set in terms of, you know, his technical abilities. I think both of them are going to be looking, Okwara probably third round, Kareem probably fifth and later. Um, but I think in their own ways, they're going to be able to make an impact. Before right. we go into the interior defensive line, um, Frenchie, I just want to ask you just a little bit more about the best player in this draft, Chase Young, of what he's going to do year one. You mentioned everything that he is and why he is the best player in this draft. You mm-hmm. mentioned a little bit, too, of comping him to the Bosa's. We saw immediately what Joey did for the Chargers and what Nick did for the 49ers immediately turning those defenses and almost the entire tenor of the teams around in year one. Is Chase Young the guy who's going to be able to do that, even though he's not as technically sound, or are you looking at a guy who heading into year two or three becomes the best edge rusher in football? I think we're looking closer to the latter. Um, In the NFL, you need a lot more of those technical pieces. It's more difficult to win off of pure athleticism. You know, the Bosa's had it. And, you know, we talked about their impact. Um, Joey and Derwin James are really leading a defense that still has them picking sixth, but has some people. And I'd argue that Garoppolo might have had a little more impact coming back to the Niners than Nick Bosa. But goddamn, was he impressive this year. You know, as a rookie to be in the running for defensive player of the year, you know, phenomenal. He jumped off to everybody. Um, you might have heard about him from the French Five last year. But, yes, yeah, I recall. But we're looking at somebody. He was also the best player in that draft. 
um, right up there with Devin White last year. But I digress because what we're talking about is Chase Young and Chase Young's impact. I think he's going to come in year one, have a lot of big splash plays, but get washed out a little bit, maybe in the run game or a couple other places while he's kind of refining some of the um, other attributes, maybe getting a little bit more upper body strength. So he has some, you know, bully in him to counter with, but it, there are some very small things that he needs to do to get that technical piece the way that the Bosa's had it. And once he has it, man, it's over. We're talking about, you know, top, top five, at least top 10 edge rusher real quick. Perfect. All right. Let's move to the inside of that defensive line. We have, Two guys here um, who you rank as top 15 prospects. The rest of the three could come off late one to mid two. Derek Brown out of the school you hate, number one. Talk about Derek Brown out of Auburn. Derek Brown, I think, for somebody who's been rated so high and somebody who's been talked about forever, is somebody whose motor is red hot. You know, we've talked how great LSU season was. If you want to look at one tape to see one guy, you know, go watch Derek Brown's tape against LSU because he lined up everywhere. The dude played edge rusher. He played nose tackle. And he just ate LSU's offensive line. If you're running at him, that's your fault. That's your problem. He got he stuffed you, and it's on you. We're talking about a top five player in, in this draft here. Um, he's rushed from all positions. He's got a nice pass rush array in terms of different moves. Last year, Quentin Williams was the top, and he was a bit more raw, but he had some um, higher athletic abilities. Derek Brown is coming in with a whole lot of talent in addition to, uh, you know, some phenomenal athletic abilities too. You know, glass eater is a word a lot of evaluators use when talking about dudes play angry. Like Derek Brown makes a tackle. Like, he's trying to prove to you he's a better man than you are. And that's the kind of guy you're talking about if we're taking interior D linemen, you know, top five, top ten. At two, I've got Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. Uh, Kinlaw, he's a senior. He left the senior bowl after two days because he said, all right, I'm done. I proved what I had to. He destroyed just about everybody he went up against. He had a great time there. You know, talking with a lot of scouts and everybody who all said, yeah, we just saw him against a whole lot of other college players, and it was very clear who the man on this field is, and it's Javon Kinlaw. He's twitchy in the way you're looking for someone on the edge to be, except he's working from the inside. And one of the things I like most about him is the way he tackles and the way he goes for a sack, because every sack is trying to be a strip sack. The only thing he doesn't do as well is clog in the run game. And it, it, it feels strange that the way we're talking about defensive tackles is so similar to edge rushers, you know, but that's a bit of how the game is getting. Kinlaw doesn't, you know, control the run game in the same way that Brown can, but he's someone who affects the pass game just as well and can control a blocker at least in order to free up some space for your linebackers. Ross Blacklock is my third. Um, he's from Texas Christian. He's someone who does a really good job in the run game. He beats the blocker to where he wants to go, and his real move is just a bull rush. His upper body strength is, you know, second to none in this interior class. He's staying inside. He's a zero or one, and that's where he's going to work. He also had a torn Achilles back in 2018, you know, just talking in terms of medicals. Neville Gallimore, he's someone who's staying at nose of the one tech. Um he wraps up in tackles, but he can get dragged even by running backs, which you don't love for someone at that side. 
his move is a swim move and it's pretty effective. But if that doesn't work, he's just kind of clogging up space on the inside. But he's got a lot of space to clog. And my fifth is Marlon Davidson, who's a bit more of the edge inside, three technique, maybe one technique. Doesn't have a ton of versatility besides that. We're talking, you know, interior rusher, but on guards, that kind of player. His strength is rare. The strength he's bringing, when he extends, you get pushed back. Um, he's that I think is going to have, you know, a nice career and a good role in a rotation pretty early on. Um, so we got two Auburn guys right at the top in this five here. Want to talk about That's an Alabama a- guy before we move on, Raekwon Davis? Mm-hmm. You want to talk size. You want to talk clogging the lanes. Let's talk 6'7". 6'7", 300-plus. Yeah, exactly. This is the kind of guy who um, was a top 15 pick if he was coming out in 2004. Um, today, he doesn't offer very much in terms of the pass rush, which, again, is what we're talking about with defensive tackles. Um, even with that size, he's kind of trying to be a little bit too finesse at times. You know, if we can get him to just push forward and collapse the pocket, um, I think he kind of his stock will rise. He's got the athleticism and the traits that people covet, and he's definitely going to have a role. Um, I think he's going to come off the board a little closer to the fourth round, um, maybe a bit earlier, third round, mid-third, to anywhere through the fourth is kind of where I'm looking for Raekwon Davis. The one thing I would love to see out of him a little bit more, if he's going to go finesse and get beat, that's fine. But get those big mitts up because he can knock down a lot of passes in this league, especially as we see quarterbacks at five nine and you know six foot and five eleven and all those things. As that becomes the norm, get Raekwon Davis's arms in the air. Sounds good. That answer your question there, Tom? Yeah, great job. Oh, that's a, that's good stuff. All right, I so, for your appreciation. <laughs> let's head to the linebackers. One side. Yeah. People have talked about maybe being, you know, a top three player in this draft. Um, and then a couple of other really good prospects as well, starting with Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. I think everybody fell in love with him in the national championship game that although they got killed, he made every play and was the enforcer on that Clemson defense. Yeah, absolutely. I, so just real quick to talk about what I'm calling linebackers. What I'm calling linebackers is anybody who stands up and isn't on the line of scrimmage traditionally. So those are the guys I'm talking about, not edge outside kind of hybrids. Those are ones we talked about already, like Zach Vaughn. Starting off, Isaiah Simmons, he just kind of gets thrown in with the linebackers. That's a waste of time. Dude's a playmaker. He's played inside, outside, slot corner, free safety, edge rusher, and outside corner. And that's all at over 5% last year. He didn't play one position more than a third of the time. Dude's going to have an identity for your team. He's an athlete. Dude is a freak athlete. Um Everybody's been singing his praises. I will, too. Turn on the tape and just watch him make plays. If you watch Clemson on defense, you're going to see number 11 causing havoc for offenses. Dude's not perfect, though. There's a reason he's not the top player in the draft. Um, In pass coverage, he can do one of two things. He can either stay on a tight end's hip or go after a running back, whoever he's matched up on by that. Um, or he needs to spy the quarterback. He is not covered well in zone coverage unless it's deep middle. And if you're doing deep middle as free safety, again, what you're doing is just watching the quarterback. So if you have him watch for route combinations and things like that, that's not what he's going to do. But the versatility he has in terms of spots he's been at, 
you know, if you have a defensive coordinator who's going to let your guys make the right plays, if you're talking about, you know, tell me what they can do and not what they can't do, you know, we're talking about someone who's going to be elite in this league. Super versatile. I mean, I, I haven't heard anybody described as a, you know, quote-unquote linebacker show that kind of versatility all over the defense. That's that's crazy to me. And, and just this playmaking ability, you know, I feel like whoever's drafting him, is. You're, if you're a fan of that team, you're not going to be shouting as to why you're not, your defense isn't getting off the field. Right. Yeah, that's the hope. And again, it, it all depends on what you're going to be able to do with him. He's not going to, you know, fit for everybody unless you make it work for him. Um, but yeah, he's going to be someone who, excuse me, especially as we're seeing more mobile quarterbacks, teams are using the spy more. Let him just watch Kyler Murray and chase him down. He ran a four three nine. You know, we're talking Jonathan Taylor wide receiver speed and things like that. He beat Jerry Judy in the forty, and I know the forty doesn't matter, but it just kind of speaks to his overall athleticism. Um, and he's going to be able to make some plays. Um, for defenses in need, because let's be honest, if you're able to pick Isaiah Simmons, your defense is in need. No doubt. Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma is your second guy. Yeah, he's my second great athlete, and his athleticism isn't the same as Simmons, but he also offers some versatility. Isaiah Simmons is by far the most versatile guy defensively we've seen come in here. But Murray offers some versatility. Um, You know, Wilson offers some versatility. Jeremy Chin offers some versatility. There are a few other guys who are playing multiple roles here, but nobody's doing it the same way as Simmons. Um, Murray offers some of that. He's someone who can rush the passer and do a couple other things as well. Um, He's going to get overshadowed. His testing was great. His real concern is can he shed blocks in the run game? Um, He struggles getting around linemen to go make the play. But when he's the one who makes the play, he is blasting running backs. He's blasting receivers across the middle. He always tries to make the big play, and he excels in the run game in doing that. His only you know, concern there is it being a bit undisciplined, trying to make the home run play instead of just trying to make somebody strike out. I know I'm confusing baseball metaphors here, but here we go. He's someone who's a lot more about zone coverage than man coverage. He can get a little bit undisciplined in either, again, trying to make, you know, that final play. But he offers just a world of athleticism, a lot of playmaking. And, you know, he's someone that will fit whatever your scheme is to make your defense better. At third, I've got Patrick Queen. He and Murray are pretty traditionally two and three in this draft. He's on a defense that is going to have, I don't know how many first round picks at the end of this. Um, the only reason Patrick Queen started the 12 games that he got to start was because Michael Divinity Jr. got suspended. You know, might speak to maybe is Queen really all that, or it might speak to look at what this man did once he got once he got his chance. And again, the narrative you tell is based on how you feel about him. He can show his inexperience. He's overran a few plays in the tape. But goddamn, he's got range for days. He's a sideline-to-sideline player. He's got great bursts. He's very good in man or zone coverage, whatever you want to run. And when he got the opportunity to be the leader of the defense, he led it. At four, I've got Jordan Brooks. This is a guy. He is big. He is rangy. Those are the two things we're starting with if we're talking about him. He plays with great anticipation, and he plays with a lot of mobility. The one thing he's lacking is some experience and time in coverage. Most of what he did in uh, the past coverage was just play spot. 
So he gets the opportunity to blitz, to drop. He's just watching the quarterback. That's not going to fly all the time, but he's someone who has a ton of speed, a ton of range, and he's coming in at 6'4 and strong as all can be. He also spent a lot of time with that spy position, shooting gaps to get sacks and make some big plays. At five, and I'll admit, number five for my linebackers might have been my toughest position to pick my fifth. Um, at number five, I've got Troy Dye, and for one reason only. The dude is maybe the best coverage linebacker aside from Simmons. Um, he's a communicator. If you watch Oregon film, you're going to hear one voice on the defense, and it's Troy Dye's. He has a ton of athleticism. He's got great reaction. He's one thing in terms of negative. He's light in the ass. The dude needs some strength on the body because right now he's just kind of an oversized safety but there's a lot of teams that need someone like that. We've got so many defenses in the NFL right now who don't have the quickness, who don't have the pass coverage ability at the linebacker position. Troy Dye is going to walk in and be one of your best coverage linebackers, and he's someone we're talking about coming off the board third or fourth round. Excellent. Excellent. Tom, anybody uh, you want to bring up that wasn't listed in those five? Well, you spoke about Michael Divinity Jr. He looks to have plummeted just due to some of the off-the-field stuff. Where do you think he would go if he didn't screw up? Oh, we're talking day two at the latest? Yeah, he's looking like a fifth or a sixth now. Yeah, he was someone I brought up in our college football preview as someone who could be talked about as a first-rounder on a stud defense. And he's someone who got suspended He's got drug issues off the field and a couple other issues just in the locker room and the like. You know, we're looking at probably a priority free agent signing if he gets drafted at all. So that, you know, that's the kind of fall from grace. And again, if people were able to get to the pro day, see the athleticism, watch the strength, and also just kind of talk to him and hear what he's learned face to face, he might have a shot of going a little higher fifth, sixth round. You know, but the situation we're in, I don't know if he's going to get the chance on draft night, and more likely than not, he's going to be uh, trying to pick between a couple teams offering him minimum dollars after the fact. Well, maybe somebody will get a steal if he can get his life together. That's always the hope, man. You know, I'm not pulling for anybody to fail. I'm just trying to raise the same concerns that people in those rooms are doing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, why don't we move on to uh, some of the secondary guys with the corners and the safeties. Corners and safeties. I'll run through safeties first. Second best player in the class to me, Jeffrey Okuda. Um, Greg Cosell, he was on the herd with Colin Cowherd. I like to cite my sources. Greg Cosell comps Jeffrey Okuda to Champ Bailey, and that's a pretty good person to be compared to. Okuda fits today's NFL great because of just how honed his anticipation is. He's got he's the best man corner that we've seen in quite a while. You know, we're talking best since Ramsey, maybe Patrick Peterson, but masterclass on press coverage out of this guy. His explosion, his leaping ability is second to none. He can be involved in the run game. He laid out receivers um, who were leaping for balls that they couldn't get to, and that's only if he couldn't get to them too. Total coverage and the best corner to come out in at least five years or so. Um, if you get Jeffrey Okuda, you're getting a stud. Wow. And number, yeah, I can't stop singing this guy's praises enough. If you're trying to throw quick balls on him, they're just not getting there. 
um, or he's going to be meeting the guy at the catch. His feet, man, his feet. You, I don't talk – I mean, I probably talk about men's feet more than anybody else I know, but his move quick, and he's just staying in your pocket the whole time. Breaks my heart that Alabama couldn't have met Ohio State this year to watch Okuda and Judy go head-to-head because that would have been the matchup. But he just – he powered through uh, T. Higgins, wasn't letting him get out there. You know, the, one of the things I like to see is not just the plays you make, your number of tackles and interceptions. Let me see how many times people throw the ball to you. And Okuda's balls attempted against him numbers plummeted. And that's playing alongside two guys who would be uh, day two picks if they both came out. There it the, is. Comps of, the comps to Bailey and, and Ramsey are, are make you very excited if you're a team in the top five as of right now who, who's looking to take and addressing their, their cornerback position for sure. Yeah, they have to. And I'm someone who's putting my name on it, writing up the articles and saying it here. So I'm recorded saying I am just all in on Jeff Okuda. It's out there. It's out there, folks. Hold me to it. Keep the receipts. Uh, and number two, I got C.J. Henderson. Um, he's close. He's another one who's getting up in that top ten kind of range. He is a mirror guy in man coverage. Greasy hips. The dude is slick, sticking with you. He's in your pocket. He is jawing in your ear. The best thing he can do is stay with you down the field. The second best thing he can do is separate you from the ball. He goes after the body a lot. Um, he's got solid length and will make the play on the ball, but he's someone who will get his arm to knock your arm away if it's not going to end up in his hands, and that's what you're looking for. Um, he's someone that I was impressed in the way that he was used with a little bit of versatility. They played him down in the box a lot, and they used him blitzing. And he's someone who um, he's someone who came through for a few blitz for blitzes that turned into sacks for that uh, Florida defense. He idolized Joe Hayden, and I think there's quite a few similarities in their game. Um, he's someone that I think is going to be a good pick uh, in that top 10, maybe top 15 range. At three, I've got Jeff Gladney. Now we're talking late first to early second, guys. Jeff Gladney from Texas Christian did not play much zone at all, but he's a very twitchy man corner. At times, he can overplay. He has that soft man coverage, and that's just what they run down at TCU is that soft man in the 3-3-5 defense. He gets overpowered if they try and switch in the press, but he is someone who just makes plays on the ball, and once you make your first cut, he's with you. The best thing he's at, if you want to run boundary routes on him, that quick little five-out hitter, he's taking it the other way. Again, the big question, feet, he's got the same kind of quick feet, but they get lost. The dude kind of looks like he's running in a blender at times, but if you can kind of hone the speed he's playing with, that twitchiness, and you can get someone who makes those overplays, goes a little bit too far, and you can kind of parse some of that down, you're getting someone who's going to turn a lot of quick routes into touchdowns. At four, I've got Christian Fulton from Louisiana State. On my personal big board, Gladney and Fulton are fighting for the same spot, um, so they're right there together. Fulton's really athletic. He's strong. He's tall. He doesn't take false steps. He's waiting for you to make your move. He reacts, and he does a great job with it. He's someone who's lunging at your ankles, though. He tampered with a drug test a few years back, and he was also the second-best corner on his own team. And If I'm not hurting rugs with that, I'm not going to hurt Fulton with that in terms of evaluation. But it is something to think about in terms of who he's going up against. It's not going to be your top guys. 
but whoever he's against, he played damn well with. And at five, I've got Trevon Diggs from Alabama. The five spot, I think, is another one that's a little jumpy for a lot of people. Diggs played um, wide receiver his first year at Alabama, and he played receiver for most of his time. That was his focus in high school. 6'2", with a lot of size and a lot of length. His receiving abilities really show once he uh, gets on the field. What he's best at is zone coverage and zone press coverage especially. You don't see a lot of press cover three, but that's some of the stuff Alabama was running uh, because they had digs. It's letting him stay in that press position and just kind of turn him back to watch the quarterback. He's got that lack of anticipation as someone who's been playing the position for two years. It shows at times. But, man, he is something of a neophyte in the position, and he can play it like a vet when his tape's at its best. So those are my five guys. I love it. I love Diggs' ability, too, to, to be a ball hawk. And, and mm-hmm. he's not, you know, having that receiver background. You know, we see some corners who are – not that it's a problem, but they they show why they're corners, right? They don't secure that inter, that sure interception here and there, and, and you're not worrying about that with Diggs. No, not at all. And also, Diggs is six two. He's big for a corner. He's offering a lot of length. Same with uh, Okuda. That's part of what makes them so talented and adept at breaking the ball up. Is they've got this huge wingspan to come in with and separate it. I got a couple That's more it. guys I want to ask about before we move on to safety. I have them written down here. Jalen Johnson out of Utah. Yep. What um, do you want me to kind of go? Yeah, go for it, man. I'm just going to throw the names out and you go for it. So Jalen Johnson is someone else who is very much going to be in that first, second round range. Um, He was fighting for that fifth spot for me. Um, I think he's someone who offers a lot of physicality. He has that kind of versatility. He's someone who um, is able to go back and forth between zone and man really well. He's also someone coming off of an injury right now and is hoping to be cleared by August. And that's someone who's going to, you know, that's something that teams are going to consider. Now, did they get a medical report at the combine? Yes. But do they get to follow up and ask more questions? No, you're just talking to Jalen Johnson. I think that might hurt his stock a little bit and offer up a couple questions, but he had four interceptions in his sophomore year. Um, He was eighth in the country in interception return yards, which is something that you love to see in terms of somebody um, taking the ball back. He also uh, had a really good uh, combine in terms of just what he was coming out with, 4-5 in the 40, very nice, 124 in the broad front, really good, and came through with a pretty fast uh, 20-yard shuffle in 4.13. So these are the sorts of things that people are looking at and seeing – we got a whole lot of talent here. We got someone comfortable playing man zone. He's physical. He can work the press. He's very good at a lot. Maybe not exceptional in everything, but attacks the ball and brings it to the house. Another guy I got is, I wrote down his name, but I don't know how to pronounce it. So the guy Noah out of Auburn. Noah Igbenogane. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, come on. Just stay with me. Noah Igbenogane. Igbenogane. Um, there you go. You nailed it. Um, Beautiful work. Yeah, number four in the blue and orange. Um, that's a nice and easy way for you to go through and talk about him. You want to talk about length? Like Noah Benagane at 5'11 plays a lot bigger than 5'11. Um, he's someone who I think is going to be a little bit more of a zone, but just because he doesn't have the same kind of quickness in transition, but man, he comes through heavy. His press um, I was reading a scouting report on him, 
And he said, up in your face with bad intentions. And that is what he's trying to do. He, it, for a corner, his best attribute is his strength. And I'm not saying that as a negative. Like, he comes through. He, he can just take you out of a play within the five yards he's allowed. He's got a great burst in zone. He can really step up. If he's dropping back, the ball's in the air. He'll step up to make the play. He's got a lot of length and strength to separate the ball or separate you from it. Um, his big problem is just a lack of quickness and someone who can bite on a double move. Good special teams guy as well. Absolutely. He's someone who is going to be an impact guy, special teams day one, with that kind of strength. And he's bringing some speed and the rest of it to it. And especially if we're talking about someone who has a good read in zone, that's someone who's going to have a good read in terms of some of the kinds of breakdowns you're going to need to have in the tackle um, on special teams. Last guy I want to talk about before we move on to the safeties. We saw a lot mm-hmm. of him just playing for Clemson um, over the past couple of years in some big-time games. A.J. Terrell? Yeah, he's another one who's fighting for that fifth spot. Um, I think he's going to be in that first to second round range. Um, came in, five-star recruit, one of the top guys who was getting um, into uh, college football when he made it. And once he made it, he was – there to leave a mark. Um, he's got great matching sets. Um, he's someone who is just watching the receiver and does a really good job. He's balanced. He's patient. And not unlike um, you know some of the guys I was talking about before in Christian Fulton, he does a great job of waiting for you to make your move and going from that. He does a nice job closing on the ball. Um, he, he's someone else. You know, this is something. He's wiry. He's a bit weak. He doesn't offer so much in press. He's not very good in the tackle either. He is willing. He comes up and tries to go with as much um, force as he can, but he still gets shrugged off a bit of a washcloth in the tackle. Um, And he's got a problem with flags flying out, man. There are a lot of times he's grabbing hands. If he can avoid the flag, you know, he's going to make a great play. Again, he drives on the football well. He closes well. He stays with you. He does a nice job mirroring your route but he doesn't do such a good job of keeping his hands out of the play when he's trying to make it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to some safeties. Safety talk. Here we go. One Um, of my favorite prospects in this whole draft is in your list here, Frenchie. All right. You'll have to uh, speak up. I'm guessing – I think I have a guess who it is, but we'll see. Um, At one, I've got Xavier McKinney. He's safe in terms of all of these. He's one of the cleanest evaluations you're going to watch. You know, look for him in the first round, you know, in the second half of it. He's probably a box and slot kind of guy. We're talking someone similar to Minka Fitzpatrick, but doesn't have so much over-the-top experience. Um, He was impactful no matter where he was. He's instinctive in the shallow zones. He lays big hits. He's not going to over-pursue to try and make a major play. Um, He's more of a deep two guy if you're going to run any kind of deep routes, but he doesn't have the you know, most extreme of ranges, he's still going to be able to make a big impact. Um, Number two. This is the man. This is your guy, Grant Delpit. Um, He's someone who's really fallen off this year for a couple pieces. Number one is an ankle injury that's been nagging him for it. And number two is washcloth tackling. He looks a little less interested. And part of that was coming into the year, he was a top 15, top 10 pick. But, man, he's he's got the best range in this class. Um, maybe not pure range in terms of who can run the farthest, the fastest, but he does more in the space you give him than anyone, and he can cover more space and do well in it. Drives on the ball. His acceleration is at 
is just elite. You don't teach someone to be able to burst like he does, and he's looking for the ball every time. He's someone who's trying to make a play on the ball and take it to the house when it's in the air. That's all he's trying to do. He's blitzed. He's been in the box. He's played man. It's fine. He's a true free safety. Let him play the deep middle. Let him do you know the deep zone in a cover one and just – sit back and try and make some plays. You yeah, know, that's, re- that's what Delph is about. Yeah, the reason he's one of my favorite prospects is because of that first round, you know, top 10 to top 15 talent that's probably going to go in the first part of round two. Mm-hmm. Just because of that year, and I, I don't like the negatives that turn him into a, a you know, a day two, round two talent, but I, I look at what he has the potential to be, and, and you hear the term draft day steal. I think yeah. somebody's going to get an absolute steal with this guy for all of those reasons that you talked about. His burst, you just can't teach it. Yeah, there, there's a lot with Delph that you can't teach. His play on the ball is definitely one of them, and he tries to turn everything. And again, I was talking about kind of scouting narratives. You know, it's the narrative he had an injury that he played through, and it kind of held him back. Or was it that he had an injury that wasn't that bad and he just kind of phoned in his last year because, you know, he was already going to be a top pick. Um, I'm someone who falls into the first. Part of it is because he played big and tried to make those hits, especially as LSU was on that championship run. Um, So I I think he's someone that is going to show up big and offer a lot of range there in that early two. And number three, I've got Antoine Winfield. Uh, that's Winfield Jr. For those of you who remember his father, we're talking a five-nine safety who plays like he's six-four. The dude is angry in contact. He's trying to prove he's bigger than you, even if he's shorter. Every time he lays a hit, um, he's a slot corner. He's a two-deep safety. He's kind of versatile in the different things he's doing there. But what he does is attack, attack the ball, attack the man, attack the play, attack the route. He's trying to beat you to everything. Um, one thing he hasn't done in terms of a safety is show a lot of deep range in a single high. Just because he didn't do that, they had another safety who played free, and if they went to a single high, he was playing in the slot where he's closer to the line and has the ability to make more plays. And so I'm not saying it's something he can't do. It's more something he hasn't done. Winfield has flown up draft boards in this process, and a lot of it is People like Mel Kuyper trying to get his tape hyped, um, but also just how well he did at the combine, got people back to the tape, as so often happens. And you find out that this is a guy who's just a damn good football player on what was a really impressive Minnesota team. You know, we talked about Tyler Johnson earlier. They've got some boys up there in Minnesota. Love it. Uh, My number four guy is a former walk-on who I think is another one of the steals in this class, and that's Ashton Davis. Um, Again, my four and five here are going to be fighting for about the same spot. I've got them rated together. They're just different style guys. When it comes to safeties, I think it's more rare to find someone with just elite range. And that's what Ashton Davis has. He's a former track star at Cal who walked on. Um, He started as a corner and then they moved him to free safety. And he also is one of their return guys. He played receiver in high school. He didn't play a defensive side in high school. So he still does have... A little bit of growth needed in terms of route anticipation. But what he does is have track speed at free safety. Makes good plays on the ball. He flies back to the deep zone. If he gets beat, he's still going to catch you. He's right up there with Ruggs um, for fastest guys in the draft right now. Um, He would have been great if he could have 
had the chance to impress at the combine or the pro day. Um, he had an injury that held him out of the combine, you know, so he didn't have that opportunity. Hoping he can make it up at the pro day, that never comes. But he's someone who just has speed and range you can't teach. He's not afraid to hit either, even if his technique needs a little bit um, refining because he tries to make the big hit every time. Um, but I think Davis is someone who's going to be, you know, if not this year in terms of trying to train him, he'll still be a major impact factor in special teams, both as a returner and on, you know, punt units and such. But he is also someone who's going to be able to develop into if he doesn't walk in as a really good starting free safety for someone. And then at five, I've got Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. If you don't know about Jeremy Chin, welcome. Hey, thanks for joining the club. Um, he's Isaiah Simmons Jr., all the sorts of versatility we talk about with Isaiah Simmons, you find it in Jeremy Chin just at a small school and with slightly lower combine numbers. Um, he played all those different defensive positions. I think he's really more of a weak, sa uh, weak side linebacker, box safety, somewhere in there. But he was dominant at Southern Illinois. Most safeties or linebackers or whatever he is can't take over games. He did. He controlled the tempo of the opposing offense with what he was doing to them. I think, you know, again, struggling in man coverage. He does pretty well in shallow zones or best as a spy, not unlike Simmons. Um, so let him kind of play that shallow area, be that box enforcer with all the athleticism you could want. And I think that's going to make Chin really successful. Yeah, I mean, he's 6'3", and he ran a four four five, so that's pretty exactly. special. Um, yeah, so, sorry, it, go to ahead. Me, if, to me, if you love Isaiah Simmons – and then you come back and say, well, Jeremy Chin didn't do this, this, and this. You know, number one, you're a little bit in on pretending Isaiah Simmons had no flaws. And listen, he's a top five guy. I know it sounds like I'm down on him, but I want to just bring a little bit of realism to it. But you can't tell me you love him and you're shy on Jeremy Chin being a second round pick. Because Chin has those athletic traits that are rare. It's just kind of getting overshadowed by someone similar who's are even more rare. What do you think about a guy from, you talk about a small school, um, I saw this guy and I believe I, I was reading about it, trying to do my Kyle homework. Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan? Kyle Duggar, yes. Yeah, Kyle Duggar is another guy, he probably would have been right up there in six. Um, he's going to find a home, everybody's going to say, what do you mean Southern Illinois? And then a few picks later, everyone's going to roll their eyes when they see Lenore Ryan. Um He's another one who just showed up at the combine. He ran sub four five. He's got the size we're talking about six two. He's someone who plays that deep middle in a you know great way. He's twenty four years old. He's a bit on the older size for this um, you know position, but also just for the draft. Explosive athlete though. He's mostly a C and chase guy. If you can get him to process a little bit more, again, he's got the range to go deep and to go side to side. But you need to help him process, you know, to turn his skills and athleticism into great football. But again, just at the point right now, let him just be someone who says, go make the play. You know, you've got some a bunch of other guys who've been learning the game forever. Put him in the box. I think that's where he'd be best for now. Let him get shallow and let him get a little bit creative because he's an athlete. He's explosive. He's got great size. And he is just otherworldly competitive. You know, you think everybody in D2 is trying to be the one guy who gets the shot. And then you watch his tape and see him just pressing harder than everybody else on the field. And you got to love it. Yeah, absolutely. All That's right. awesome. All right, Frenchie. My favorite part. Some, 
this is this is a great point in the podcast. Before we go into for me to talk about two kickers, right? Before we go into the Jets and Giants in your first round, we've got to talk some under the radar guys. You broke this up into a couple different sections this year. You don't have to go super long into them, but there are some interesting names here in each category. Your first one is guys under the radar you're defining as being hyped to around, you know, rounds three or four guys who you have graded higher than that. We're going to start with safety. Just keep it going. Kenny Robinson, who's a former XFL standout with the St. Louis team after two years at West Virginia. Um, Talk about Kenny Robinson and why you're so excited about him. Free safety in a league without very good free safety play and a lot of guys getting beat over the top. We've got another really good one here. Um, We just talked about Kyle Duggar at six. Robinson's my seventh best safety in this class. He's got size that he needs to learn how to use. But, man, what you do with him is just let him play the middle and make the plays. He's also someone who had to carve out his own path. He had a couple issues at at, uh, West Virginia where he was, nothing very serious, but some things that came up and also um, some financial issues at home. So he said, I'm going to, you know, try and carve my own way. He went out. He got a contract to play in the XFL. Um, You know, given what happened, I'm not too certain how much of it he got, but we're still talking tens of thousands of dollars to send home to his family. And now he's trying to go to the NFL, do it again. He's someone who might go as late as the fifth round, who I really think is a third round pick. Um, And of that, I think he could, you know, I wouldn't, you know, besmirch a team for trying to take someone with his upside, his range, his size, his ability, and his ball hawk ability as well. He had two interceptions in, what was it, four weeks of XFL football as the only guy there who could still be in college. So I'm in on Robinson. I think he's someone who's going to, you know, be really good in this league. Um, Also, so these are my under-the-radar guys. I've also got an off-the-radar guys and just a favorite list. Um, of a couple guys I didn't have a chance to fit in. Um, so in this one still, for the under-the-radar guys, Alex Highsmith, twisty, bursty edge out of North Carolina, Charlotte, go 49ers. You're going to hear that uh, school again soon. Um, he's a stand-up rusher. He's got a few different counters. He's got sloppy hands and a red-hot motor. He's going to get after it. Um, Giants fans will remember O'Shane Zimenez being somebody um, – who really showed up for them and someone that I really um, loved. I think Highsmith is in that same kind of category as Zimmon is in terms of small school guy with some great bursts. He's really going to um, find a home in the NFL. Uh, I've got Antonio Gandy Golden, the wide receiver from Liberty. He's six four and two twenty with a lot of athleticism and an ability to go up and get the ball. Um, that's what he does. Put the ball in the air, let him jump and get it um, at I have another wide receiver in this list, Van Jefferson, who's the opposite. He's going to give your quarterback some easy throws. He's a great route runner. Um, Nice size, not great athleticism. And also Logan Wilson, who is my number six linebacker, very close with Troy Dye at number five there. Um, And Wilson, three-year captain after a four-year starter, who's talked about as one of the best guys in locker rooms out there. and this is from a coaching staff that was at Notre, um, excuse me, North Dakota for a while. Um, he's a very sound tackler. He's someone who struggles in coverage. And if you could just unlock those pieces, you're looking about at someone who's going to be a damn good linebacker. If you can combine that with the, the natural athleticism and his anticipation in the run game. 
All right. So those are under the radar guys. Let's move mm-hmm. to the off the radar guys. Guys, we're talking fifth rounders to undrafted free agents who you think are going to still have a pretty big impact on teams. Yeah, and these are guys who it's going to be a little tough to really judge where they're going to get drafted because, you know, we've seen players, you know, one team has a fifth-round grade and one team doesn't think they should get drafted at all. So a few flyers in here, but guys that I really like, James Robinson, running back from Illinois State, might be my favorite off-the-radar guy in this draft. Um, He thrives in contact. He's stronger when he runs, and he has great balance. His runs look easier than they are because of how easily he's shrugging people off. Uh, Watch him against North Dakota State, and you'll also see number two on this list, Derek Tuzka, um, North Dakota State edge rusher, wowed to the combine, where, you know, other people then have to go back and watch the tape if they're not as tuned in as I am. Sorry, everybody, but, you know, get better. Um, (laughs) He's someone who's not difficult to find when you watch. A lot of times you're watching someone to evaluate and saying, all right, now, um, you know, what's his number? Because i got to look for what he's doing. When you see number 91 on the field, you don't have to ask who it is. When you're looking for Derek uh, Tuska, you're saying, that guy is jumping off my screen. You find him easily. He's someone who just shows up and plays. He tested great. And, you know, even though he comes from one double A, he's going to find a good spot in this league as a situational edge rusher. At three, I got Malcolm Perry. I'm still not certain what position he's going to play, but I believe in the man. Um, Perry was a quarterback at the Naval Academy in their triple option attack. He could be a running back, a bit undersized. He could be a wide receiver as well. Um, he's got that twitchiness. He's got the athleticism to play at a few different spots. He's fast, but he's quicker than he is fast. He's someone who's going to walk in with the special teams role, you know, get him on jet sweeps, cross routes, quick screens, find a way to let someone who's been a playmaker make plays. Cameron Clark, my second UNC Charlotte player on these lists, because only here, uh, watch Charlotte against Clemson. If there's one film I can get you to watch for one player, it's going to be an offensive tackle from Charlotte because you will scream at your television rooting for this small school guy who is messing up D lineman from Clemson. Every time Charlotte did something good, it was because it was happening behind Cam Clark. He pulled if they needed to run right. They ran screens to his side. He was powering through if they wanted to run off the left. If something positive in that offense happened, it was because of Cam Clark at left tackle, who was also voted MVP one year he started there as an offensive lineman. And then my fifth on this is DJ Wanham from South Carolina. He's someone who has all the traits, and sometimes it shows up. He gives all the effort, but it's like if you're at a bar – you get ready to go talk to a girl up there and you've got this great line and you're all ready to go. You think you're about to be hot shit and you get to talk to her and she's too cute. and You forgot all your words and you look like an asshole. That is DJ Wanham trying to run. <laughs> Sometimes the dude is smooth as can be, but most of the time he goes up there without a plan. If you could just teach him three moves and say, you use this, you use A during one, B during two, and C during three. He's someone whose athleticism and effort is going to get him on a uh, team. And then these are just five more prospects because there are too many damn good players in this draft. My first is Amick Robertson, one of my favorites. Pure slot corner, 5'9", lays a boom on people, physical as can be. If Tyron Matthew could only play the slot 
He would be Amic Robertson. A lot of twitchiness, a lot of physicality, and effective in the run game, even at his size. That's what we're talking about with this corner from Louisiana Tech. Michael Warren, the second running back out of Cincinnati, 5'9", 228, low center of gravity, difficult to take down. He bounces chest tackles off. He runs through arms. You need a full body and one or two guys. He's going to be a good rotational back. Darnell Mooney, a wide receiver. He is a whopping, get this, 176 pounds on a 5'10 body. He also ran sub 4'4 and was the focal point of Tulane's offense. Dude is quick. Every route looks the same until he makes his cut. And that's something I love about watching his tape. I don't know what he's running until he runs it. And that's great to see from someone at a small school when a lot of receivers are, you know, showing what they're doing beforehand or they have their leanings. If you want to watch a little bit of his tape, watch some of the catches he made against um, Tom's favorite, Auburn corner Noah Igbenakane, <laughs> and you'll see just how far up Mooney can get at 5'10", 176. And then, you know, not because they're your schools, but it just so happens that I've got a couple guys here from UConn and St. John's. So I'll start with Matthew Peart, who's one of my favorite guys here. Um I talked about condor arms before. Peart's a pterodactyl. All right, he's got 36 and 5 eighths inch long arms, which is a full inch longer than any other tackle. His broad jump was 113 inches. His leap was 30, and he ran the 40 in 5.06 at five, at uh, six foot six, 320. And that's a whole lot of size to carry around and move like that. A lot of impressive traits and some greasy hips. This is the kind of guy that the American philosopher Bruno Mars was singing about when he <laughs> used the lyrics, smoother wow. than a fresh jar of Skippy. That is what we're talking about with Pierre. The problem is he's got a lot of athleticism. He is a piece of clay that needs to get molded into a pure tackle. I'm not sure if he's an impact player immediately, but in a few years we might ask ourselves how he fell so far. Um, might get the first good coaching in his life. Shout out to Randy Etzel, whose son I picked off in a passing camp my junior year of high school. Um, and number five, Tom, I got you too with your Johnny. Let's talk about Ben Barch, offensive tackle. He's someone I almost left off because everybody is getting on that bandwagon, but I'm a part of it too, and I'm not getting off of it to look cool. He is going to come off in round three. He's a former tackle who turned himself into a – uh, or excuse me, he's a former tight end who turned himself into a tackle, gaining 60 pounds with a smoothie, which has the following recipe. I feel it's important. Seven scrambled eggs, mm. a, quote, big tub of cottage cheese, Ugh. quick grits, peanut butter, banana, and Gatorade. He blends it up. He closes That sounds his- a lot like what Tom makes for breakfast every morning. <laughs> yeah. And not so bad if you have them separate. This is a single smoothie. Puts it in a blender, grinds it up, closes his eyes. He would only drink it in a dark room. Still close his eyes, plug his nose, and pound it. And this got him from about 250 to 305 so he could play tackle. That alone makes you worth drafting. But he's got a lot of natural strength in the run game. He's conservative in pass protection, and I don't mean that to be a negative. It's just who he is. He waits for you to come to him and kind of catches rushers, you know, whereas if somebody gets him and unlocks the ability to kind of step up and make the first hit in that game, 
Um, I think he could improve even more. Jumping from D3 to the NFL is obviously going to have a couple, you know, problems that arise. His technique, he needs a little bit of longer steps so he can get a wider base and really square up. But he's got great potential, and anyone willing to stomach smoothies like that to play D3 football is worth taking in my draft. Oh, I fucking love it. That that's the, the other St. John's. That's, that's the, the uh, D3 program. Oh, sorry. That's I mean, okay. Listen, I love it. I love it. Any Johnny is, is a friend of mine. I Johnny you were. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the other one from uh, Queens. But let's get your other Johnny. You have two here. We've, I think we've gone deeper than any other program, really, because we're, we're jumping into D3 here, and I love it. That was well. That was fantastic. You know, that was my guy. That's that's where that I was your guy. There. You had your UConn guy and your St. John's guy, and that's some of these blogs. I just looked them up. Have have him projected to go in the second round? Yeah, he's really uh, he's been shooting up, man. I I think he's more of a third, fourth. But hey, I, he's someone who's got a lot of potential, a lot of athleticism, and good power in the run game, and that's always going to be in vogue in this league. Um, he played great at the Combine, and a lot of evaluators seem to have fallen in love with him by the way he kept moving up after the interviews. So I think he's someone that has you know, potential to jump into that late second. I think he'll be a little closer to third to fourth round come draft time, but he's got that potential you're looking for. Keep those smoothies coming. All right, Tom, it's time for you to get excited about your New York Jets. Frenchie, you gave your seven-round mock. That's going to be going up on sorrysports.com. After this podcast, give it here first, your New York Jets 2020 mock draft. All right, let's go through it. J-E-T-S, right? Um, Let's go. This is a bit, again, this is me trying to kind of balance what makes most sense for the team, but also who's available. You know, you might ask, why not this player? And he might be gone already, you know, in my own mocks and things like that, um, which I'm happy to talk through. Um, I'm also going through the interviews, looking at draft histories of some of the guys who are in the room making the decisions. That's a little tougher with Joe Douglas, who's really running his first draft this time. Um, But here we go. I think the talk right now is who they love. Um, And I think that getting Darnold the best receiver he's ever played with is going to be important. And the talk is that the Jets love Henry Ruggs, the speed demon out of Alabama, He's a threat on every play. He's a weapon in a lot of different ways. Um, He's going to be able to come through and get some jet sweeps and just make plays for Darnold and for this Jets offense that has been depleted with talent, um, especially on the outsides. You know, why I went receiver instead of offensive line here, it's just a little bit of what, you know, I'm assuming and taken from what they've done this offseason. They signed four offensive linemen. Kudos on Connor McGovern. Um, they signed four guys to play that offensive line. They let their best receiver go. And as deep as this draft is, there are three elite guys, and they might get their pick for their favorite one uh, at 11 here. And I think Henry Ruggs would be great for this offense. Love it. I'm really happy with that pick as well. If you're not going to get one of the top two offensive linemen, go with the best player available. It's probably Ruggs. Yeah, and that's a bit how I feel about this, and it's just trying to match up who is it that the Jets like most. You know, the talk coming out of camp by all the journalists who, you know, have club access and are talking to people is they love Ruggs. I think Ruggs would be phenomenal for that kind of West Coast offense. He's got great run-after-catch potential as well. 
At 48, I've got Prince Tegawanago. Um, he's an offensive tackle from Auburn. He's someone that a lot of people um, aren't aware of because they don't know that tackles are going after That's the That's an all-time top. name right there. I love that. Yeah, name. it's a great – so he comes from Nigeria. He moved to the United States in 2014 without a bag. He came wearing the clothes that he wore to the airport and nothing else. And the purpose was to play basketball. So he was staying with a host family whose son – was also going to football practice. He asked if he could go with him. You know, he and a friend who played basketball were just kind of standing on the sideline. The coach says, want to give it a try. They didn't have size 16 cleats for the kid, so he tightens up his Air Jordans, and the coach says, go after the quarterback, and he does. And that's how this guy comes to football. He ends up getting pulled out uh, by Auburn as an uh, offensive tackle. Played great there. His best tape is in the run game. But he's also a really good mover in space, not just getting to the second level in the run game, but he also does really well with speed rushers. He could use some technique work, of course, but he's got a lot of talent and athleticism that I think is going to shine. And someone with a story like his is going to have the drive to really put his talents into practice. Hey, I love that story. It'd be really interesting to see if the Jets could scoop him up. Yeah, and on the website, you're going to be able to see some alternate selections I have at every pick. But I will point out one of my alternate selections here at 48 is your guy, Noah Igbenogane. If that happens, you're really going to need to learn that name. At 68, (laughs) I've got uh, tight end Adam Troutman from Dayton. That's right, we're getting a flyer this high. Um, He's got really strong hands at the catch point, and if this is how it goes – we're starting off with three guys who are going to be huge for the development of this offense. The defense already has some strong playmakers and ability, you know, both coming from some of the linebackers they have, and we're hoping mostly really booms this year if you're a Jets fan. You know, and Jamal Adams has been a stud for as long as he's been there. But if you get Henry Ruggs, you've got an elite receiver prospect. You've got a strong tackle in both in the run game and someone who's going to grow as a pass blocker. You know, plug him in at right, and you've got Adam Troutman, who's going to be able to step in at tight end, and if not be the number one guy, he's a really strong number two, who's going to have great hands, run after the catch ability, um, is 6'5", he's got good speed, and he has a really nice break in his routes to get open for Darnold, who hasn't had a lot of open targets in the last, you know, two years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that'd be an exciting pick because I don't think the Jets have had a good tight end for as long as I can remember. Yeah, so I think those three, I know it's a little offense heavy, but, you know, we're going into year three for Darnold. After this year, you know, it's time to make the call on whether or not you're picking up that fifth year option and what's getting committed. You know, if you don't give him the chance to succeed, you know, it's going to be really tough for him to show that you're invested in him. And I know with Douglas and other people, there's been huge turnover in this organization. So it'll be fascinating to see how they go through. But I think that these offensive moves at the top would be huge in improving uh, not only the Jets' chances for next season, coming off what was a surprisingly strong season towards the end with Darnold Beck, um, but just in terms of the growth of Darnold and the offense. And I'll also say this. Let Le'Veon Bell actually have a hole to run through. You know, get a tight end who can block and bring in Tegawanago, who can also block really well um, at right tackle for you, and let him have a couple good bursts through there. Your baby boy's growing up, Tom, so they got to help him out. I agree. After that, I've got a few defensive players, and I'm just going to go through my next three picks. 
Um, at pick 79, this is the Jets' actual third-round pick. Um, their last pick where they got Adam Troutman was from the New York Giants in the Leonard Williams trade. Um, but at 79, I have Terrell Lewis from Alabama, the edge rusher. Um, there are a lot of mocks that have him higher than this, but all of the rankings have him around here or lower. So I think this is a fair place to kind of rate him. Um, but there are a few other linebackers that you could look at here. He's got top-tier length. He's got a really good burst. A couple injuries in other years, but he was pretty healthy through 2019. He's raw, He's somewhat raw, but he has a lot of traits. He's someone who's going to come in and rotate as an edge rusher in that defensive system the Jets are running and I think have a strong impact as someone who's going to be able to get after quarterbacks early. At 120, there's a big gap here between picks, about 41. At 120, I have Tanner Muse, safety from Clemson. He's 6'2 safety. He might be a weak side linebacker. He's kind of a tweener like Mark Barron was. Um, but tweener's not a bad thing anymore. He's a box presence who does great playing downhill. He's not a deep uh, safety. He's someone who's going to take running backs and tight ends and man and offer a strong support in the run game and try and take your head off in a tackle. His straight line speed is great, and that's going to really make him a successful special teams contributor as well. 158, I have Justin Strand, or Strand, this is a name I screw up because there looks like there's missing a vowel, but it's S-T-R-N-A-D for those of you playing at home. A linebacker from Wake Forest, coverage first linebacker. He's got range. He's 6'3", 235. He reads really well in zone. He can hang with um, tight ends in coverage. Problem is he does try and make the big play too often. He doesn't tackle great because he's trying to make a huge tackle every time. But this is someone, again, what we're talking about is a fifth-round player who's going to offer special teams capability, a lot of um, potential just coming in as a zone coverage linebacker. Um, he and Muse are going to be somewhat similar into some ways that you can use them. They almost feel alternate. We have a linebacker who's really good in coverage and a safety who's really good in the run game. But I think at both of these, you're having players who have roles and are going to be able to do really well in those roles and offer special teams contributions. Absolutely. Yeah, I like I like Muse as well because you said he's good in the run game. He can play in the box and play a little bit of linebacker on the weak side as well because the Jets are already pretty good at their, their regular safety positions with Marcus May coming off a great year and obviously mm-hmm. Jamal Adams probably being a top three safety in the league. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't want to over you – know, over draft someone at that position but you have a box player at the safety position who's going to have a defensive role but also a lot of special teams contributions and you're taking them you know at 120 um so he's going to offer some great versatility for that defense and also just kind of um offer a lot of strength and ability on the special teams as well so my final two picks for the jets at 191 I have Darius Anderson, the running back from Texas Christian, who is just a pure speed back. I know there have been talks of friction and Bell and da da da. I don't care. Le'Veon Bell's there. Even if he's there, you do need someone else who can run. Let's get another weapon. Let's get someone who can just cut through a hole and tear it up and try and go home, home run. He's got little pistons for feet. He's a creative runner and tries to make every play a home run. He's also going to be great on the swing pass. You know, let everybody else go out, toss him a swing, and see if he can make a home run out of it. Um, as a receiver, he's going to be able to make five yards go to 15, and that's kind of what we're looking for in that sort of thing. 
he's going to have a lot of runs that are zero yards, one yards, but you're looking for him to take five yards, you know, get 25 out of it. Um, and most of that's going to come on one run. But as just a rotational weapon, I think he offers some ability and versatility. And then at 2011, uh, this is a pick they got from Kansas City in the Darren Lee trade. Um, Javelin Guidry, uh, G-U-I-D-R-Y, is a cornerback from Utah. This is another speed guy. But he's a really good person to have in the slot and to have on special teams. He ran 4-2-9 at the combine. And again, it's not trying to shoot him up the board. He's jumped a little bit because of that speed. I don't know how great he's going to be as an impact immediately. And the Jets already have some solid slot play, and he's going to be a slot guy. Um, he offers some great mirror ability. So even in terms of dime, just let him go on the fastest guy you've got. Um, he needs to work on his tackling, and that's going to improve some of his special team productivity. But here in the sixth round, we're after 200 picks. You're going to get someone who is a phenomenal athlete. I might have mentioned he's really fast. He plays really fast, too, and he offers some good mirror ability in terms of making sure receivers um, have him in his pocket. He is watching them, and he is with them wherever they go. So that's my draft for the Jets. Again, Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver. Prince Teguanago, offensive tackle, Auburn. Adam Troutman, tight end, Dayton. Terrell Lewis, edge, Alabama. Tanner Muse, safety, Clemson. Justin Schnott. Linebacker Wake Forest, Darius Anderson, running back TCU, and Javelin Guidry, cornerback Utah. I love Tom, how you feel about I that, Mark. I absolutely love it. I mean, the Jets did a lot in free agency, and maybe if they mm-hmm. went in the uh, in the second round with an offensive lineman like you have here, I, I'd be excited about it. And then getting that tight end that might actually be able to do something other than block would be really exciting as well. Yeah, and part of that is you're getting held back because you need blocking tight ends because you don't have great offensive line play. You sign a bunch of offensive linemen. You got five offensive linemen this offseason, one center who I think is going to be great for what the Jets need, um, but also George Fant is going to be expected to play at left tackle or at least have one of the tackle positions, and you sign three guards. You know, if you assume at least one of them, hopefully two can play, you know, what you're looking for is one more guy who can come in and take a spot if you need that. And I think Prince Teguanago is someone who's going to be able to fill in that right tackle role, offer some power in the run game, and just kind of help the offense all together. So um, another piece for you. And uh, at 68, I've also got both the guys you asked about, Kyle Duggar and K.J. Hamler as potential guys if you don't go tight end there. So um, a few more options you know, through this. If you check out the list online, you'll get to see all of the other potential picks um, in addition to some of the guys I mocked, just in case positionally the Jets go a different way. StarrySports.com, everybody, to check it out. Why don't we jump into the Giants mock? All right. Uh, Sean's been loving the only giant fit phrase lately, so let's see who might be only <laughs> giant here. Uh, my first pick, and this is, four for the Giants might be one of the toughest ones to figure out right now. Personally, I think their preference is to trade back. They could trade a five, six, seven, potentially eight if Arizona wants to jump, nine if Jacksonville makes the leap, even 12. If 12 and 19 get paired together for the Raiders to jump on up and grab a quarterback they want. Um, There's a lot of guys who could potentially jump. Um, I don't know who's really trying to get to four, especially with Detroit trying to um, flip three for some other picks. 
Um, but at four, I think if the Giants stay at four, they don't trade back and take the tackle, which may be their preference. I think they go with Isaiah Simmons, the do-it-all linebacker. The defense needs an identity. Um, and Isaiah Simmons could be the kind of person who comes in and brings that identity. Um, Mika Fitzpatrick left the Dolphins because defensive coordinator Patrick Graham wanted him to do too much. Doing too much is what Isaiah Simmons wants to do, and I think he would thrive in Graham's uh, multiple and versatile system and being asked to be the kind of playmaker that Mika Fitzpatrick was asked to be but didn't want to be. Um, He's the kind of guy that they really want to build their um, defense towards. Versatility and all those things. You know, Blake Martinez is someone who I think is a major upgrade at linebacker but has some questions in coverage. I think Blake Martinez has some great ability in the blitz. You bring in Isaiah Simmons, now you have him in coverage and allow Martinez to do some of the other things that Martinez wants to do. So what we're looking at is someone who's going to come in, bring an identity and a lot of production to this defense, Um, even if a lot of the talk right now might be offensive tackle. One of the things that uh, Dave Gettleman, if you listen to his pressers, like I listen to the um, pressers of our GMs before I put these out, Gettleman not only talked about the strength of this class, but also about the depth in this tackle class. And so here I think he's going to lean more towards depth and uh, just take a great defensive player at the top. Yeah, I, and, and he fits kind of that best player available, right? I mean, he's done it with Saquon. They said he, they had the same grade on Jones that they did on Josh Allen. So they took the quarterback because they needed him. And if Simmons is graded as the highest player, I mean, like you said, the defense needs needs an identity desperately. And if there is a a really good quality offensive lineman in the second round that they could get or maybe later in the first they could trade up for, I mean, this is is the pick. Yeah, and I think it's very possible. We've seen Gettleman very eager to trade back into the first. A lot of that has to do with not only getting the guy you want, but there is a value in getting the option for that fifth year. And I think that's part of why we see so many teams trade back into the back half of the first round. At 36, though, because I don't do any trades in this uh, draft, I have Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle from Georgia. Um, I think this would come down to Ezra Cleveland, who's a bit more mobile, or Isaiah Wilson, who's just the hog molliest of hog mollies. We're talking 6'7", 340, 350, and he is explosive in the run game. He just, you know, barrels through people. But he's got some sloppy techniques, some sloppy hand placement, and the sorts of things, um, you know, that you're hoping having a better coach and coaching staff, particularly in the run game, can do, as Giants fans hope happened here. But if on the right side you have Kevin Zeitler and Isaiah Wilson, you just made Saquon's Bar- Saquon Barkley's life a lot better in addition to improving your pass defense. I love that. I mean, that, that absolutely is, ne- is a necessity. No, yeah. no question about it. I mean, think about what Saquon could do actually with holes to run through. It'd be interesting. We haven't seen that yet. No. In 99, um, there's, an, again, a huge gap here because of the Leonard-Williams trade. Um, again, I think this is part of why um, the Giants would like to trade back from four and get some picks you know, in the gap from their second and third pick. Um, there's a lot of meat in the draft at that area, so I think that would be a nice idea for them. Also, don't count them out on flipping some of these late picks to go from 99 and a little bit further up, particularly if one of the center prospects is available. I have at 99 um, Tyler Biotic, who I think – um, is better than 99, but a lot of the other mocks that I've been seeing people do, they've got him going um, 
you know, here or even later. So I went with Biotic here, but you could also look at some of the other center prospects if they want to go the same position. Um, Gettleman will try and run to the computer, I guess. Um, you know, make sure it's plugged in. If Biotic is still <laughs> on the board, you know, at this point here, communicator, leader, and right now at center, it's Spencer Pulley, maybe Nick Gates, and maybe John Jalapio if his Achilles is okay. Um, so I think Biotic would offer, you know, someone who could step in. We are obviously looking at someone with some injury questions, but the potential upside if um, things can go right for him is really high. And if you bring him and Wilson onto this offensive line, it's light years ahead of where it was pre-draft. I like that. I mean, you're getting a standout. The way your mock's going so far, you get a standout defensive star anchoring your defense, identify your defense with, and then you're addressing the offensive line with your next two picks. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit of how the Giants draft will be no matter who goes first is, you know, the two things that are most necessary right now is a defensive playmaker and offensive line upgrades. And I'm leaving that a little bit vague in terms of specific positions. Um, but those are the two things I would be expecting to see in the first two picks. Would I be stunned if they went tackle center? Not really. Um, but I think more likely than not, they're going to go defensive playmaker and offensive line. Uh, I'm going to move through the next few picks together. Uh, first, I have Alex Highsmith. I've already talked a little bit about him. Um, the Giants have a committee on the edge. That's the hope, at least. Um, so bringing another guy with burst and bend, we know at this point in the draft, Gettleman likes to find guys from small schools. At least he's done it once before. And if you look in his history of draft, this is really where Gettleman um, succeeds in identifying some of the top players. Um, and so I think Highsmith would be someone who is definitely willing to come off the board here. And his best trait is burst, and that's universal. Uh, at 150, I have Colby Parkinson, the tight end. Um, this is a team that's really going to be changing the way it uses tight ends, uh, how Jason Garrett's been using his guys in Dallas for a bit. Parkinson's 6'7". He will be the biggest jump ball threat for the Giants day one. He's not a bad blocker. He's also worked at fullback. He's a bit more of a slot guy. Um, he's got vertical routes. He's going to have some smart football. You know those Stanford guys, one of those things that everybody says anytime they call a game and the Stanford guy does anything. Um, but he's going to bring a lot of size. He's going to bring some size. He's going to bring um, a little bit of versatility and a weapon. That's 6'7", and currently the Giants don't have anything near that. At 183, I have Josiah Scott, a cornerback from Michigan State. Um, the slot position for the Giants um, is something Scott can come in and compete for. He's undersized. He's a quick corner. He's got great mirror skills. Penn State's K.J. Hill has been brought up a couple times on this podcast. Watch the Penn State battle of uh, K.J. Hill against Michigan State's Josiah Scott. I think it's really impressive stuff. Um, Scott undercuts the ball well, really good in shallow coverage, and I think is kind of built to be a slot corner. Um, and then at 218, I bring in Tyree Cleveland from Florida. I already talked Van Jefferson a little bit. Cleveland is someone who's going to go later. A lot of size and a lot of speed with about three routes in the tree. He runs posts, he runs streaks, and he runs screens. He does that with a lot of proficiency. He's faster than he is quick, but a little bit of size and a little bit of speed on the outside is something in this point in the draft. If you can shoot for and get it, you know, it's worth the shot. At 238, 
I have Cam Clark, the offensive tackle from UC Charlotte. Two 49ers, two of my favorites. I don't care. This makes sense, and he's likely on the board. Um, he bullied Clemson, and he's going to be a depth piece with some potential um, interior or even tackle upside on a team that needs all the help they can get at those positions. Um, that pick comes from New Orleans. 247 is a compensatory pick, from, uh, and I have them going with Shaheem Carter, from the safety from Alabama immediate special teams contributor. I think Alabama players are going to be in play having brought in Bretton Burns as the running backs coach to the Giants. He's been with Alabama for as long as Nick Saban has, um, starting as the running back coach and then moving into a player development role. Um, I think that Carter is going to come in. He's got nice range. He's got a high IQ ability. Um, he used to be a corner. He's played everywhere in the safe, uh, in the secondary rather. Doesn't have great athleticism, but is someone who's going to offer a lot of special teams impact and, you know, offer potential for depth in the secondary. And then the last pick, Mr. Irrelevant, I have as Robert Landers, the defensive tackle from Ohio State, because I don't want to give Dave Gettleman a stroke by not being able to draft a D-lineman. Um, Landers didn't, doesn't offer a thing on passing downs, but if we're talking last pick in the draft, you just need to offer one thing really well. He didn't play all that much at Ohio State because they had a lot of speed packages. He is just a run stuffer. Put him in the middle, let him kind of rotate at the zero or one technique as a depth guy and try and clog some stuff up. And if you actually get that production from 255 and Mr. Relevant, kudos. So that's my draft for the Giants. Um, Start Isaiah Simmons, Clemson linebacker, Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle from Georgia, Tyler Biotic, center Wisconsin, Alex Highsmith, uh, Ed UNC Charlotte, Colby Parkinson, tight end Stanford, Josiah Scott, corner Michigan State, Tyree Cleveland, wide receiver Florida, Cam Clark, offensive tackle UNC Charlotte, Shaheem Carter, safety Alabama, and Robert Landers, D-tackle Ohio State. Send it in 100% how this draft's about to go. <laughs> Dude, I would take it. I would fucking take it. That's You're addressing a lot of key issues that the Giants have here. And I was interested to see what order you would go if you were going to put Simmons at one and then go how far into the draft on the line. And if this works out 100% this way, like you're like you're assuming, fucking sign me up. I'm ready to go. Yeah, and again, if, if if Simmons does come off the board at four, let's say they can't trade back, you know, at 36, they can still trade up. They've got four seventh-round picks, and they've got multiple picks in other areas, so they can move back into the first if they really want Wilson, and he'll go sooner. Or Austin Jackson could be available. Maybe there's someone else that they like at that slot. Or if Cesar Ruiz drops out of the first round, you know, they could go center there and then look for tackle depth elsewhere. Um, so they do have some flexibility. If they trade back from four, you know, they could go back a few slots, maybe still get Simmons. Um, maybe DeAndre Baker falling asleep in meetings is too much for some people. They dump his ass and then they go out and get a Cuda. Or maybe they go with offensive line and they look at some other positions. You know, if we're talking top of the second round pick, maybe AJ Epines is there, Antoine Winfield, other people like that. But you got to check out the article to hear about some of these other scenarios. There you go. I like this. I like the way that you did this draft too, because it speaks. A lot of these players, you explain how versatile they are and what they can do is much more important than what they can't do. And that's all Joe Judge has preached since he's been hired as the Giants head coach. Yeah, and it's trying to kind of stay in line with those with the pieces that, you know, coaches are trying to implement. You know, Joe Douglas is a little bit new, but listening to the interviews and some of the areas that he puts 
um, particular emphasis for the Jets and how we've seen, you know, drafts run around Gase's offenses before. You know, how do those pieces work? Where are they looking for guys, the kinds of receivers that they want? You know, trying to balance those out in a mock in addition to just saying, look at my board. Ooh, this guy's really good. I think he fits. You know, that's yeah. not what I'm trying to do when I'm trying to predict how these things go. No, that's – listen, man, that's what we want, you know. If you're curious about that, go back and play the first half of this again. Yeah, exactly. Tom, you ready to move on to the whole first round? Yeah, let's run through this real quick. I'm excited to hear um, who you have going places where we haven't heard before. Obviously, we know the Jets and the Giants, but everybody else, we got to find out about them. So why don't you jump in and give us your first round mock before we get going? Well, we'll do. I'll probably take a couple breaks to let you folks chime in. Feel free to interrupt me as I go. Um, after I read this, you no longer have to tune in on Thursday because I'm going to be right. This is just how it works. Um, I'm going to be wrong. I'm excited to see which ones I do get right. Hopefully I can get the first one right or everybody screwed up. Um, but, you know, I keep the receipts. This is what I want. And one more piece about this is I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm all about equal opportunity disappointment. I have mocked the first pick for every team that's not in the first round additionally. Um, so Steelers and Rams and Colts fans, you'll all get somebody in this mock as well. Nice. So I'm going to jump, so jump on in. Number one pick in this draft, Joe Burrow, quarterback, Louisiana State. He's the best player for their biggest need. He's from Ohio. The entire community is going to get revitalized. I don't care if he wants to go there or not. He's going there. That's the pick. It's happening. Talk of trades, fine, maybe, whatever. I don't think it's happening. Dolphins aren't going up for Burrow, or if they could have, the trade would have happened by now. Burrow's a Bengal. Number two, I've got Chase Young going to the Redskins. Um, Washington's about to have a great pass-rushing trio. Um, it's been good with Kerrigan and Montez Sweat, one of last year's first-round picks. Add Chase Young, and you've got a top trio of guys who are going to be moving around in Ron Rivera's defense that he's bringing in. Um, sorry, offensive lines in the NFC East, but your job's just got a lot harder. At number three, I've got Jeff Akuda, corner from Ohio State, elite pet player, major position of need. I know you lost Slay. I know they got Tufan, all of those things. Jeff Akuda is the best player on the board, and Detroit does not have enough corners to be pushing people away, although the talk is that they're very much in play for Derrick Brown, especially if they trade back from three, which looks to be their first choice. Giants again. I have me getting his corner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Giants, I've got going Isaiah Simmons again. Um, again, as in, you know, you're hearing about it for a second time. Not going to dwell on this. Um, Miami, I've got Tua Tungavailoa going. Until otherwise, I don't care. The last time the Dolphins blew off a quarterback because of injuries, they lost two Hall of Famers because Drew Brees didn't go there and Nick Saban quit. Um they got new ownership since then and might not want to make the mistake of their predecessor, especially if they get to stay at five. Um, I think two will becomes more likely. I think they're trying to bait the Chargers to trade up because all the talk is that the Chargers only like Justin Herbert. But again, it is the season of smokescreen, so who knows what's happening. Um, but at six, I've got the Chargers going Justin Herbert from Oregon. Um, I don't buy it's the only one that they want. But he's going to be in line to start pretty quickly. This seems to be Tyrod Taylor's job is getting replaced by first-round picks. Um, also, just not having the quickest process in mind is all right when you've got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen making plays for you. So I think he's going to be great for them, um, someone who's going to be really coachable, come on in and uh, play under Anthony Lynn. Seven, I've got Derek Brown at defensive tackle. 
They lost their two defensive tackles. They've lost almost all of their defensive talent. I could definitely see them going receiver. I think that they would love to get Isaiah Simmons. Um, but I really think that defensive tackle, as the board shakes out, is going to be um, the way they go here. They need some defensive talent badly. Brown is the best defensive player left at a major position of need. Um, and I think that he fits what they're trying to do uh, really well in terms of just trying to get young and infuse some new energy on that side of the ball. All right, finish up your top 10 before we talk about it. All right, my last three picks in this top 10. At number eight, I've got Tristan Wirfs, offensive tackle from Iowa. Um, they might trade up for elite defensive talent. They might trade back and get more picks after getting DeAndre Hopkins. This is really a good pivot point that could go either way. Um, and I think it's kind of exciting to see what the Cardinals might do. Steve Kime is a bit of a wild card as a GM. I really wanted to give them Henry Ruggs the third because that would just be too great to see. Um, but I went with Tristan Wirfs, who I think fits what they're trying to do. Elite athlete and is going to be able to slide and move around in that you know spread offense that they're running in Arizona. He's hyper-athletic, and that's really important with Kyler Murray behind him, who got sacked over 40 times no matter how fast he is. And number nine, I have C.J. Henderson, the corner from Florida. Jaguars lost a corner. Now they get a corner. Um, because of, you know, how bad the Jaguars are right now, I think this is another pivot point. Could they pair 9 and 20 and trade up, you know, go for a quarterback and start the rebuild now? Or are they going to kind of tank it? Could they go receiver here? I think it's very possible. But right now I've got them going C.J. Henderson, who is a damn good corner. They play a lot of man. The only time that the Jaguars have had success post-Mark Brunel came because their defense was elite. So they get the best defensive player left on the board and someone who works perfectly as a man corner in the sorts of things that they're running right now. And I think that is going to be where they go. At number 10 with the Browns, um, I don't think that they go – in terms of trading Odell, um, but I do think they go in terms of taking a player here. I think they go Jedrick Wills and put him immediately at left tackle and let Jack Conklin stay at the right. Um, he's a blindside protector for a lefty quarterback. Again, do these things really matter to people? Um, some, especially, you know, listeners more than evaluators. But I think that he's going to be able to move to the left really easily. And for the next three years, you've got Wills and Conklin as the tackles for Baker Mayfield. Tom, what do you think of the top 10? I like it. Um, I'm interested to see if the Browns trade OBJ. That'd be pretty incredible. Maybe they go with one of the, the top wide receivers there in Lamb, Ruggs, or Judy. But yeah. with, that, with that being said, I don't think they're going to trade him. I think he's just too much of a talent, um, and I don't know how much they'd – I think his draft stock has just fallen, and I think they'd be pay, getting you know 75 cents on the dollar for him. So I don't think they would trade him away, but I I do like you know the Arizona Cardinals taking an offensive guy, an offensive lineman, just because, I mean Kyler Murray's electric, but he was fighting for his life out there a lot, and I'd like to see him get a little more protection. Exactly. If Kyler Murray is not athletic as he is, I mean, if Josh Rosen stayed in that offense, he'd have been sacked seventy times. Yeah. Kyler Murray. Still took, I think, 44 or 47 sacks last year. So if they could get one of these tackles, I think it'd be great. As bad as that defense is, you know, they're getting asses in the seat for one reason. It's because of how electric the offense is. And I think they just the, – uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime are going to lean into that, get someone who really kind of shores up that line and lets them do a little bit more on offense. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree there. I, I think that your top ten was 
you know, it, it shows what teams need and they're taking the best player there. You know, I, I if, if the Dolphins get to it five, I mean, that's a dream come true. Yeah, and it, I'm not ruling it out. I think it's very possible. The way the trades are going to work in this draft, I think, is a fascinating thing to watch just because of, um, you know, the different types of communication, not getting the votes and approval and, you know, ideas from everybody in the room in the same way um, that teams are used to. So it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how trades are affected. I think we could see fewer trades, but at the same point, we might also be seeing trades occur a little bit earlier um, due to some of the other issues that may arise during the draft. So yeah. I'm not ruling out that we're also going to see a ton of trades here, but um, you know, some teams might be, you know, less, you know, excited or, you know, ready to make an unexpected trade because they don't have the same kind of systems and, you know, no, you know, ideas from everybody in order to you know, go about their typical process. I hear you. All right, Frenchie, go 11 through 20, and then we'll talk about it, starting with Ruggs. Obviously, you talked about him going to Tom's New York Jets, and yep. then um, move on 12 down through 20 for us. Sure. So 11, Ruggs to the Jets, already done it. Let's keep going. At 12, I got C.D. Lamb to the Raiders. Um, Gruden likes to get the ball in the playmaker's hands, and Lamb is a playmaker there in desperate need for weapons. Now get a great wide receiver to complement a great young running back, and Gruden's quarterback, whoever that might be, um, will be able to put on a show. I'll also say this, talking trades, if John Gruden loves a quarterback, 12 and 19 could turn into three or four really quickly. Um, yeah, that makes sense. At 13, San Francisco goes Jerry Judy. Let's remind everybody at home what happened last time Kyle Shanahan got someone from Alabama with this talent, um, Julio Jones. So – he goes there, we have an elite route runner. Now, all of the things that Kyle Shanahan tries to do with the 49ers in terms of that you know, zone read and then play action offense, this got way easier for Jimmy Garoppolo because um, he's got someone who's always going to you know, find ways or be fighting to get open. Um, and I think that offense could just be unlocked. I know people are looking defensive tackle, but I don't think you traded a defensive tackle for the first-round pick to immediately use that first-round pick as a defensive tackle, especially when there's going to be some other depth there and an elite receiver on the board. At 14, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go Andrew Thomas, ready to walk in, protects QBs, um, and he's going to get the chance to do it for the GOAT. Um, that offensive line still needs some help, and it's about to get a little bit of help in Andrew Thomas there. Another spot where I know it seems high, but we could be talking running back DeAndre Swift. At 15, Makai Becton comes off the board again. We've got, you know, failed combine drug test, weight concerns, this, that, and the rest. But, man, Garrett Bowles averaged a penalty a game. And that just can't happen for you at offensive tackle. Um, talk is, though, that Denver is really trying to move up to get one of the top three receivers. But I'm not predicting receivers or trades in my mock. At 16, Levon Chasen, the edge. Bad defense gets a very good edge rusher. Um, the corners who are here just don't fit the cover three system that Dan Quinn loves to run ever since his days back in Seattle. But I think Jason and Fowler are one of the most athletic pairs after this pick happens and is a big improvement from what Atlanta tried to use in 2016. At 17, it seems a little bit high for a lot of people, but I think the Cowboys go center Cesar Ruiz. Travis Frederick just had to retire due to some medical concerns. 
They re-signed Joe Looney, but I'm not sure if that's the guy they want starting at center and, you know, both long-term, but maybe also short-term. So we're going Cesar Ruiz here at center for the Cowboys, who steps in and immediately starts playing that, and Joe Looney becomes that kind of interior depth piece. At 18, I have the Dolphins go Josh Jones, offensive tackle from Houston. Jones had four pressures last season. Dolphins allowed four pressures per play last year, so they get a big upgrade there. The uh, Las Vegas Raiders at 19 get Christian Fulton, corner from Louisiana State. Um, The Raiders love to get guys from the top programs. Look at how many Clemson guys they took last year. I'm expecting their draft to do the same thing with guys from LSU this year. So they get a guy who plays just pure man, same thing they're looking for in their defense from the the, uh, program that they're hoping to get most of their guys out of. Um, Gruden... Doesn't like uh, corners who can't tackle. If he can get over that, I think Fulton's going to be the guy. And the last pick of this ramble for myself, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars go Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle. Two major defensive upgrades to try and get that defense back to what it once was when it was at its best. You continue that, um, that defensive presence on a team where that's what they've leaned on historically. And by historically, I mean two years ago. Um, and right now, if these are the guys they get, they now have a new identity aside from mustaches and jean shorts. So that could be an upgrade. <laughs> that is. Tom, right. what do you think of picks 11 through 20? I'm offended by that last comment because I'm a big Gardner Minshew guy. But I thought it was because you had a mustache and jean shorts. Well, that too. I do have that as well. But I really like the 49ers taking Jerry Judy to pair him with you know, Kittle, Debo Samuel over there, and the three-headed monster they have at running back. I know we talk about Super Bowl hangovers for the losing team, but I think they could find their way back into the Super Bowl if they go ahead and get a guy like that. Yeah, and a lot of the Super Bowl hangovers to me come from not trying to push further. Teams try and just repeat what they did last year, and it holds them back. I think adding a bit more explosion and adding things is going to be what helps separate uh, – the 49ers, whose front office I do trust and have been impressed with what Lynch has done. And if they want to infuse talent instead of just trying to get that same sort of player back, um, I think it would behoove them to do so. Yep. My biggest takeaway is you go and Josh Jones at 18 for the Dolphins. I mean, if they're taking Tua, the fragile concerns are there. Get a guy who's going to protect him, and uh, and that's what the Dolphins and that's what a smart organization would do with their second first-round pick, and, and that's a that's a right move for them. Yeah, and we'll see if they're a smart organization. And again, I think another very interesting idea in terms of trades, let's say they really like one of the tackles, pair up the later two picks that they've got in the first round. Go jump to one of the other picks. Maybe go get the Browns pick at 10 or Jacksonville at 9. So Jacksonville can have three mid to late picks and see if you can't get yourself, you know, Jedrick Bills or Tristan Wirfs or whomever you might want. So that might be an interesting way to go, too. Um, as the Dolphins have so many picks, I think it's six picks before, uh, before pick 70. So they might be able to pair a couple up, move up to get two elite guys um, and still have enough picks remaining to infuse more talents. Yeah, they're going to have a lot of options. So we'll see how they exercise that. Finish up the first round for us, Frenchie, 21 through 32. All right, 21. I've got the Eagles going Justin Jefferson. Um, he's my number six receiver. So, again, he's a... Very technical route runner on short and intermediate routes. He's tough with the ball in the air, and he'll be the first Eagles receiver with great hands in quite a while. Um, 
I don't know what else Eagles fans could want, but if they don't go there, they might go linebacker is a very popular uh, mock there and is a big need as well. I have the Vikings going Denzel Mims from Baylor, the wide receiver. Um, Kirk Cousins is coming back. He's re-signed. So they've got two big needs, a cornerback and a wide receiver. Um, first need I hit right now with Denzel Mims, he's going to attack the ball and he's going to balance some of the underneath things that Thielen does. At 23, the Patriots, they need a quarterback. They need some offensive line help. They need a wide receiver. They need an edge rusher. They're going to draft Xavier McKinney safety from Alabama. This is what they do. Everyone else zigs. They zag. Five years later, we're saying, why aren't we getting more safeties? Belichick's defense is built from the outside in. He builds the secondary first. McKinney is just a defensive weapon and would thrive in something that they're doing here. Um, but the Patriots don't have another pick until 87. They could very much trade back. They could trade up if Tua starts to slip. Maybe Justin Herbert. Who knows what they like. Um, my guess is they go Xavier McKinney at 23. They love their Alabama guys, and they'd love someone who's going to offer the versatility, but also the aggression and sound play that McKinney's going to have. At 24, I have my fourth quarterback, Jordan Love, come off the board. Um, there was an interview that Called I thought it. was fascinating. Where you did. Well done, Tom. You did. You had it. Um, Sean Payton had an interview this year where he said, I'm excited to get to work with Drew Brees for his last year. And I think it was more of a slip than a mistake. And I think we're really looking towards the end of Drew Brees. And if you can work in a room with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, you know, there's not another pair you might prefer to learn how to refine some of the, you know, positional you know, techniques and intricacies than those two. And, man, they could turn Jordan Love into something great in addition to, you know, using some later picks to build stuff for one last go with Breeze. I think teams are going to look at something like the Kansas City model a little bit more for elite talent if they've got an older quarterback. And I know that seems a little bit more Packers, you know, but if we're looking at someone last year instead of just a great talent to build um, – I think it's a little bit close to Kansas City, and it's very much what I think New Orleans could do here. Um, they're not the only team who might do that, and I'll talk about another one later on. But at 25, I have the Vikings getting Jeff Gladney. They had two knees. They got the wide receiver. Now they get the corner. They get Pistons for feet in Gladney. He's going to move quick. And now uh, that weak secondary, boom, they got a little bit of strength in it. Um I'm not going to be shocked if they package them and jump up for a top receiver after losing digs. That'd be something of a disappointment if you ask me. Um, I like them staying here and grabbing just a pair of really solid prospects. At 26, Miami Dolphins have gotten a wide receiver. They got an offensive tackle. Now they get top running back DeAndre Swift. So they have DeAndre Swift here. Um, they've got someone that two can give some quick hitters to. They've drafted a new lineman who's going to protect it and also open up some holes. And now they've got someone who's going to be a three-down back for them. At 27, I have the Seahawks getting Uter Gross Matos, the edge rusher from Penn State. That's the kind of guy that they get, but usually they pick a guy off the board looking at you, LJ Collier. Um, but I think Gross Matos brings a lot of athleticism, which is something they lost at the end position. And that edge, uh, that edge position brings a presence that helps out the kind of cover three scheme in a way that they're going to need someone to keep such an impactful defense going and not rely on Russell Wilson to carry them through the season. 28, I've got Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. Um, Murray's a really, you know, just athletic guy. He's got great range. I talked about him a little bit already. 
As much as I think Baltimore is going to focus on some offensive weapons to keep building that piece, I think they may start defense and go offense later on just to get someone infused in that defense with a lot of speed and range. And that's a team that really values the middle linebacker position. At 29, I have A.J. Epinesa, the edge defender from Iowa. I think this is a trade-back position. Titans have uh, seven picks in the seventh round. So I definitely think this is a spot where somebody who wants to jump up to get somebody could go to get them. Um, I think that his terrible testing combined, um, is balanced by incredible tape. He's the kind of versatile edge inside lineman that the Titans really covet um, and is going to match the schemes that they run in that combo defense. At 30, I have the Packers going wide receiver. Just kidding. Uh, Jalen Johnson, cornerback from Utah. So sorry, Packers fans. It's still not happening. Um, But I think he's going to be someone who just, again, versatility, physicality um, is something that is really going to be beneficial for what's becoming the strength of this Packers team. Um, I think the schemes that they're trying to run, a little bit of multiplicity, um, and just the depth of the wide receiver position, rather than go for someone like that here, grab another corner, offer even more depth and talent at that position. You have someone who has receiver hands and a willingness to tackle. um, And also, this is a position for Jordan Love to go so that Aaron Rodgers could become what Brett Favre was for him. At 31, I have the 49ers. Now they get the defensive tackle, though I think they're going to trade back here because they don't have another pick until the fifth round. But if they do go here, um, they get defensive tackle Ross Glacklock, who offers a little bit more pressure. If they do trade back or go corner, I think Trevon Diggs fits their defense perfectly. Um, But given the bigger hole at defensive tackle, I went with Blacklock over Trevon Diggs. Last pick in the first round, Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, they have this incredible offense and we're adding to it. I think they go Jonathan Taylor. We talked about his fumble issue. Wow. He might be the best pure running back in this class when it comes to ball in hand. And you just give it to him, you know, let him explode through the hole and make his way down the field. You know, get one more weapon on that field to make an explosive offense extraordinary. And we're talking about pushing greatest show on turf for points per game. So that's my first round. I think it ends with Jonathan Taylor adding one more explosive playmaker to that Kansas City offense. Holy crap, that would be really something else. Tom, what would you think of uh, of the last part of the first? Any takeaways for you? I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins just in general in the first round. I mean, they're the first real team, I guess you would say, in the NFL ever that actually committed to a tank and – Aside from winning a couple games just because I think their head coach is just too good, by getting rid of players, they have three first-round draft picks. And it'll we'll have to see if this experiment works for them by getting what, what we all think is three impact offensive players early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you know they don't, they've got a whole lot of draft capital. And that's really the issue here is we're talking about changing – draft capital into impact players. And that's one of the issues. There's this amazing article. It's a little bit longer, but it's by uh, Cade Macy and Richard Thaler. Thaler is an economist who won a Nobel Prize, but they wrote this article back in 2013 called The Loser's Curse, Decision-Making and Market Efficiency in the NFL Draft. 
It's a spectacular piece to talk about how bad teams get caught up in these cycles. Now, I think Miami is breaking away from that cycle, but all it's all about having the coach in place. And, you know, you talk about the acumen that Flores brings to the position, you know, developing those pieces and turning draft capital into impact players. And I think if they go get their quarterback, they follow it up by getting someone to protect him and build on that offensive line. And then they get an impact running back to kind of bring it all together and offer some offensive versatility. I think that's a great way to start building out of it in addition to the free agent moves that they've made defensively. Not to mention, too, all of the moves they made in free agency as well. Yeah, and I like I like what you said there because draft capital doesn't mean shit if you don't pick the right players is basically what, exactly. basically what you're trying to say. Right. Yeah, and it's not just picking the right players but developing the talent and having yeah. the staff there. You know, we've seen a lot of great players end up in some really bad situations and dump out of the league pretty quickly. And that can happen, you know, regardless of how good you are. It's about making sure that teams have, you know, the right circumstances in place for players to succeed. This seems like a good draft to have a lot of, I guess you would say, draft capital in it, though. It seems pretty deep. Totally agree. There's a lot of great depth. I think even though I think there's about 20 players that we would say have really solid first round grades. But then I think there's a lot of, you know, meat in this draft, both kind of mid-second on through the third. I think there are a ton of really good players that can be found there. Um, that's really where there's, you know, depth in this class. Yeah, so, and, and oh, I was go just going to say, uh, and, you know, speaking of that, is there were so many players that you mentioned there going through your French Five that – you're saying these could be first round guys, these could be second round guys, but have first round talent or second round talent that'll be picked in the third, fourth, fifth round. And to these teams like the 49ers or a Patriots that don't have any picks, you know, heading deeper in, or into the middle rounds there, they're going to, it's going to behoove them to, to try to trade back and get some of those, some of those uh, assets. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things with it is, because you don't want to miss out on some of those players if you can help it. No, absolutely not. You don't want to miss out on it. But at the same point, you know, capital this year, I think having multiple picks is even more beneficial because you're missing out on so many of the typically important parts of the draft process. So teams aren't as sure. And one more thing I'll say, uh, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted this out the other day, and I think it's really important to look at, especially as we examine mock drafts. Mock drafts seem to have a lot of, you know, group think in them because everybody seems to read each other's mock drafts and the rest. Um, but this is the first year that scouts aren't going to be together day after day after day from different teams. So we might see guys like AJ Terrell get drafted really high, whereas other teams may have a second, third round grade on them. There isn't going to be so much NFL consensus as we've seen in a lot of drafts previous. Yeah, I think this whole situation is going to be quite the experiment. I also think it's you know, allows GMs to maybe not overthink things as much as they do because you're not getting the opportunity to have those extra medicals or, you know, the extra 10 meetings or whatever. And I understand that they're important to the process, but sometimes I think general managers, Tom, I'm sure you'll agree, they spend too much reason looking not to take the player because, you know, they want all those extra things. And at the end of the day, they end up missing out on the player that really would have helped them the most because you have game tape, you have the you have the combine, you still have a lot of factors here, right? Yeah, I think you're going to see this year especially a couple GMs that tend to overthink that's going to be taken out and maybe they make some better picks than they have a history of making. 
I think this is really going to show a couple things to GMs. This might end up being the best year in terms of draft class because you're focusing only on tape, or it could show the prevalence of and importance of some of these other processes along the way. So I think a few years down the road, there's going to be a lot to take away from, you know, lessons on this draft, but we're not going to be able to, you know, figure that out till at least after the draft. All right, guys, before we go, we've spent this entire podcast talking about prospects and who's going to amount to what and, and when and how quickly, but there are some established players in this league that, Sean, you still got a couple more picks left. Let the guy talk. He went through 32. Yeah, but there's also picks for teams who didn't have a first rounder. Oh, gotcha. I'm sorry. My fault. Go ahead. No worries. I'll just brutal. Brutal. I don't want to leave out, you know, these six fans of these six teams. I thought this was a guy. I'm sorry. I went one through 32. It's all good. On a lesser podcast, they might not get to hear who their team's taken, but we are not that here. Excellent point. Thank you. So at 34, one of the players that's dropped out of this first round, um, I have the Indianapolis Colts going with Patrick Queen. The Bengals almost took him at 33, but um, they decided to support their new quarterback instead. So linebacker Patrick Queen you know, gets next to Darius Leonard as one of the top young linebacking pairs in the league. At pick 40, Houston Texans, you know, Mr. Billy O'B. Bill O'Brien, he's got a couple, a little bit of pressure on him. I do think they go wide receiver here. Still sorry, Texans fans. Um, Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver from Arizona State. Um, You know, he struggles a little against press. He's not great with the ball in the air, so you miss those things. But his route running is really good. And he's going to get some easy throws for Deshaun Watson. Plus, he's got run after the catch ability. At 43, I have the Chicago Bears getting wide receiver LaVisca Cheneau from Colorado. Um, the Bears don't have a lot of weapons, and we don't need to talk about what else they don't have. But if you get Tariq Cohen and LaVisca Cheneau, who both offer a lot of versatility, and Matt Nagy is supposed to be creative, so we'll see if he can be creative and use those weapons as he should you know, to get the most out of he can from that offense. At 49, I have the Steelers making a perfectly Steelers move by getting Jeremy Chin. I know they've got Fitzpatrick, and they drafted Devin Bush last year. Now they've got a linebacker-safety combo who's going to pair up with them both. And, you know, that athleticism, that versatility, and that defense is going to go a long way into keeping that defense one of the most impressive in the league. At 42, I have the Rams going with center Matt Hennessy. Um, They've got a lot of needs in the Rams. They were in the Super Bowl, what, 14 months ago is that? They've got a lot of needs for a team that's been that close. Um, I think they take a center who's a technician, who's a little small but is perfect for a zone scheme, and that's what McVay uses. I think it's just a smart choice for them to make, and we'll see if they make it. And then my last pick is going to be one of Tom's guys. The Buffalo Bills take Curtis Weaver, the edge rusher from Boise State. Um, I think Bills might have the happiest fan base in the league right now. Brady leaves. They trade for Stefan Diggs. And nobody cares that they don't pick until 54. I think they go with an edge rusher. It feels like a Bills move. He's got, he's got a motor that often can run high, but then it dims out a little bit. Might not be a great athlete, but boy, is he productive. He takes great angles, and he's going to be really good as a rotational edge rusher on that Bills defense to keep that defense you know, as what carries the team as the offense continues to grow. So now we've got all the picks I've mocked. 
All right. That Sean, was my ahead. fault. Real quick. Go I ahead. got excited. I'm sorry. I uh, I was just going to ask you about players, both of you guys. Uh, like, there's going to be some big names moved, I think, in the coming days or on draft night. I mean, Jamal Adams, Tom, I know you don't want to talk about it. His name's been brought up. I mean, OBJ, you guys both said he's probably not getting traded, and I'd probably agree with you. Tom and Frenchy, what are certain? Who are certain players that you really think have a good chance to be moved? You know, between now and Thursday night. Go ahead, Frenchy. Uh, I think the first one we should talk about. There's really two who stand out to me as most likely, and they are uh, offensive lineman Trent Williams from the Redskins and Yannick and Yannick Ngakwe for as uh, a uh, edge rusher from the Jaguars. Now, both of them are going to need new contracts when you get there, and that often scares away a lot of GMs. And that gets a little shaky at times in terms of what their trade value should be in terms of how quickly they're going to make that impact. But part of what you're trying to do with your draft picks is you're getting high-impact players for a little bit of money. So I think both of them are going to get moved. I'm fascinated by the whole Trent Williams scenario because they seem to try and force him to play every chance they get. And he's made it very clear he's not playing for that team. Um, I'll be interested if a team misses out on a top tackle tackle in this class. Maybe someone like Miami, instead of drafting a Josh Jones, just flips that pick for one of the top veteran tackles in the league in Trent Williams. I think Yannick Ngakwe were looking a little closer to a second-round pick. If your team still has cap space and that's the way you want to go with it, um, that might be how you do it. But, again, in terms of a team with the cap space to pay Yannick Ngakwe right now from the Jaguars, you know, Jadevian Clowney is still on the market. They may cost somewhat comparable, and though Yannick Ngakwe has more sacks, Clowney is a very productive player, an impactful player, and you could get him for about the same money without giving up draft capital. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Tom, how about you? Is there anybody that you're thinking that might be changing teams in the next couple days? For me, it was just Trent Williams if the the Washington Redskins can get their shit together. It looks to me like the Jets still have – enough free cap space if they want to go out and make that move i wouldn't be too upset about it um Mm -hmm. and you know right now he's not playing so i think the jets kind of have the strong hand over that maybe they could trade next year's pick maybe they could trade some uh a package of some you know second or third rounders not have to give up that first round pick and be able to pay the man i'd love to see that because as much as i'd like the jets to take that Offensive lineman in the second round. This is a proven guy. He's one of the best in the league. If I can jump in with a couple more guys who might get moved. Desmond King, the corner from uh, the Chargers, is likely to be on the move, too. Um, For a team that misses out on some corner help, they might get him for a mid-round pick. Josh Rosen's got to get moved again, right? (laughs) Um, But, you know, send him. This freaking guy. I'll tell you what. Ain't nobody had worse luck, but I'd like to keep him in state. Give him for a fifth or a sixth round pick right now and send him to the Buccaneers. Let him just sit behind Brady for a couple of years. They're both statues. The team will be built the same way. See if there's any juice in the tank left. Uh, Andy Dalton might be gone too. Um, that's someone who's you know going to be talked about when, especially when we get to the mid round and you know we're looking at the corners or excuse me the quarterbacks on the board. And one more guy whose name has just popped up recently. Yesterday it was brought up. Leonard Williams or excuse me, Leonard Williams, Leonard Fournette, very much on the trade market from the Jaguars as well. So the Jaguars right now have two uh, first-round picks, 
and a few more along the way. But they could really be increasing their draft capital in exchange for some, you know, proven guys who either don't want to be there um, or just might be on their way out. Yeah, I think Fournette has a good chance to get moved. I mean, he's not happy there. He hasn't been happy there. Who knows how the quarterback situation is going to play out there. I mean, I don't know if he believes. I mean, he was lobbying for Cam Newton the other day on first take. So I, I don't think he's too I don't think he's too happy with Gardner Minshew being anointed as the starting quarterback. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think it'll happen, but there seems to be a lot of traction in, in checking Bleacher Report yesterday. There's a lot of people in the industry that believe OBJ is gone because when when a team comes out and says he's not going anywhere, that almost never is the case. Like I, I don't. I, the Giants said the same thing. I, I don't know. I the situation with him doesn't work in Cleveland. He's welcome back in New York. Play for your Jets. Yeah, he's. De- I mean, again, that's another guy with diminished draft capital. If the Jets want to go and get. You know Trent Richardson and OBJ, and just give up all their draft capital. I'll be happy to do that. Don, let me ask a question about two guys who are who seem to be upset and have issues in those situations. What if you flipped Jamal Adams for one of those guys, Trent Williams or OBJ? I mean, it'd be tough to see him go. He's one of the best defensive players in the league, but they already have a, a good safety in Marcus May. For the, one of those two guys. That'd be pretty much it for me. Anything else for Jamal Adams? And I'm saying no. Could you get a Could you get a first for him? Jamal Adams? Yeah, I believe so. He's young enough for sure. It'd be interesting to see. I think it's easier to get first for players before you know exactly where that first is. I think the earliest someone may jump at that, <clears throat> Cowboys at 17. That could still be in play for them. We know we talked about them during the regular season as somebody who might be able to make the move for Jamal Adams. They could still trade 17 for Jamal Adams if he's really on the market. I know they didn't uh, pick up term on his contract. so I'd um, hate to see him go, but, I mean, i got to trust this front office, right? Well, if you want to be a fan, I mean, that might be the way to go. <laughs> or you can be angry. Yeah, I've been angry too much. There you go. <laughs> I think that's it, boys. Yeah, we're about three hours and 11 minutes in right now, but definitely a lot of good content. Anybody that's going to be watching the draft and wants to be informed should have listened to this pod. Um, So, yeah, that about wraps it up. 100%. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, I love it. And the last thing I'll leave you with, folks, watch Bass and Blankenship at Kicker from Georgia Southern and Georgia. Nice. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I have to call you to the carpet just real quick. You said you were going to do a Monday morning quarterback article. We every week we agreed on that. Didn't get a single one. Looking forward to you doing that next year, though. Oh, thanks, man. We'll talk about it. Maybe we could get some front office for or something like that. We'll, we'll work on it. Have your people talk to my people. Maybe it'll be more than one conversation. I'll hear your voice off the pod. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Take care, fellas. Take care, buddy. All right, Thanks everybody. Again.